Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Retro Mecha Podcast. I'm your host Ian and as always I'm here with my co-host Craig. Say hello Craig. Hello everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, Just uh, enjoying the last day of freedom before more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've still got a few weeks to go before I go on holiday and I'm, I'm so ready for a break. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you need it. You really do. <laughs> need, need that summer break. Anyway... We're here to talk about Toshihiro Hirano, so a quite popular, quite prolific director mm. from the 80s uh, through mm. to now. Quite often goes by the name of Toshiki Hirano. He made his directorial debut with uh, Fight X1 back in 1985. Uh, he's done quite a bit of varied output. Um, he's done mm. mecha, sci-fi, vampires... Fighting tournament, dancing. Um, he did a bit of uh, Hokuto no Ken as well. Mm-hmm. I think he did one of yeah. the OVAs on that. So yeah, uh, um, quite, quite, quite varied. Uh, he's married to so. married to uh, manga cart Narumi Kaginuchi, uh, who worked with him on Fight X One. She was the original creator of Vampire Princess Mio. Uh, she still does a lot of key animation and animation direction work today. Uh, Hirano himself still very busy, still producing anime. Uh, he's still he's producing the Baki anime on on Netflix, so you know he's still still going. But we're going to focus on sort of quite a sort of specific period um, yeah. of time through the late 80s and early 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're going to review three of his mecha anime, or his really his first three mecha anime: Dangayo, Demon of Steel, and Zeraima. Uh, so Craig, how what was your introduction to these three anime and Hirano himself? Well, um, Zangayo uh, was the first one that I saw out of these three, and that was uh, a manga video release in the early uh, mid mid nineties, actually. Ninety four, it came out. Ninety four, yeah. yeah. Now, like ninety nine percent of manga videos UK output, it was atrociously dubbed, and it was only available in that way. And I believe some of the I believe the first episode was missing as well, wasn't it? Well, when yeah. When it first came out. Yeah, because they, they got the same edit as the US. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, and that's that's because the second episode basically has a fifteen or twelve minute intro that recaps well, everything. Recaps the first episode, so they basically excluded the first episode and just used the recap in episode yeah, which two. Is, it's a real shame because I quite quite love the first episode. But anyway, um, so that was my introduction to it, an absolutely terrible dub, which. Uh, is still infamous yeah, to us I, now. A lot of these dubs still, a lot of the lines from them still really stick in my head in a horrible kind of flashback sort of way. <laughs> well, it had the typical manga entertainment 15 in of the dub, didn't mm. it? You know, yeah, where they kind of, of swearing and that. Yeah. To try and kind of warrant the rating, yeah. It's, it's, the ratings were very, very strange back then. And it's, you'd, you'd get to like an 18 for the slightest bit of thing. Yeah. But um, but anyway, um, Demon of Steel. I found out about that one on a random internet search when I was looking at stuff to do with um, Hirano and Obari yeah. uh, many moons ago. Probably when I was getting more into me mega stuff in I don't know late nineties, early two thousands, something like that. When more stuff started to become sort of uh, available on the internet and more yeah. information was coming out about it. But I didn't actually get around to watching this one until very recently when preparing for the podcast. So this was me first exposure to it. And Zeraima was another manga video release in the 1990s yeah, you know yeah. that one i didn't own that one back in the day i owned dangayo but i didn't actually own uh, zirima i borrowed that one from a friend but yeah it's but again was another victim of the sort of terrible dub where that kind of is <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's lovely to see them in japanese <laughs> yeah so likewise 
in relation to that article they put up on the uh, the podcast's blog, you know, that introduction, you know, sort of getting through really into Mecha through video games. So Star Avengers was my, you know, ex- my original exposure to Mecha anime, and that's what got gateway me hooked. Drug. That was the gateway <laughs> drug, exactly. Um, and then through all the video games, you know, predominantly mainly shooter maps, um, you know, that featured a lot of, you know, a lot of Mecha and a lot of Abari Karamori S design, yeah. you know. And then <laughs> when I fi- when Dangayo came out and I finally saw that, that kind of that completed the loop on it because it kind of, you know, it was that proper animated story of all these yeah. video games that I've been seeing. So once <laughs> I saw that, you know, the Star Avengers, uh, then all the video games, I was hurt. But that kind of really sealed the deal in 94 and that mm. was it. Like Mecha was, it was like, yes, this is what I've been looking at in video games for the last mm-hmm. four years or whatever. So you know and, and the the style and the look that we'll we'll get into in the review you know that kind of sealed the deal and again uh demon of steel going on ann looking up hirano yeah probably sort of very early 2000s when probably A&N, a similar time for me i can't know, remember exactly where yeah. they really got the encyclopedia going um mm. and the encyclopedia i don't know probably 2002 three ish you know that real boom of american anime and a lot of the digital fan subbing um, mm. You know, you looked up Hirano. I kind of knew who he was at that point. Sure. Um, and then I was kind of then just working through all his anime. And I think mid mid 2000s, there was a, a fan sub of Demon of Steel became available. And, and that was the first time I've watched it. And then for Ziorama, like you, um, it was the, the manga VHS tapes that come out in 99. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw them on the shelf. Actually, I'd gone to buy Detonator Organ. And on the mm-hmm. shelf next to it were the two Zerima right. cassettes, and I, I was like, "Oh, look, more Mecha anime!" So, <laughs> uh, so I picked them up um, and ended up buying all three at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first, and then I've owned the CPM. I've still got the CPM um, mm-hmm. DVDs because they had the Japanese dub on sure. it as well. Mm-hmm. And rather than editing the two episodes into a film, it presented them as the individual yeah. episodes as well. So that was all, kind of the first time I saw it in its true form. That's right, because with Organ, they sort of kind of mashed it all together, didn't they? Yeah. And kind again, of feature the C- length. They created a feature length film, but again, the CPM release presented mm-hmm. it in its three yeah. three episodes with the. Uh, thank God for imports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank God for multi region DVD players. <laughs> indeed, because otherwise we would have just been stuck with all those dubs until, uh, you know, well, in fact, a lot, a lot of them. You know, we've, we've, there's still a lot of mecha stuff that's just not available now. Half that CPM stuff's still not been no, released, re-released no. in the UK. Some of the licenses have been rescued, but they've just not been released yet. Mm, yeah, it's it's really is a bad country to live in for mecha, I suppose. The UK, where the more you think about it, you know, there's just so much stuff we don't have. Yeah, it's quite crazy, really. And the thing was, there was loads of this stuff, especially the the, the US got as well, because you know, like Fight X of One, Fight mm-hmm. X of Three, Exilian, CPM released all of that. None of it's been licensed, rescued since. Um, so a lot of that, you know, even the sort of powered suit sort of sci-fi stuff, because the Exa series, it's not really a mecha show, but it features mecha. Yeah, in yeah, it, ab- it? Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, it's it's not the focus, but it's uh, definitely um, you know part but of it, what makes it cool. So there's a lot of that stuff that still hasn't been picked up yet. Um, mm. You know, as a fan, and I, and I guess probably being 
like the ages we are, yeah. you know, we were around at that time to buy that stuff. Yeah, you know, exactly. If you, were, if you were a Mecca fan and going back, you know, and hopefully people listening to this will go back and look at it, mm. um, you know, you just can't go and buy it. No, you, know, you really you know, can't. You're relying on fan subs and, and whatever to buy it, which is which is a real, real shame. So um, Yeah, absolutely it is, yeah. I mean, we still hope, you know, Discotech still reduce, producing and releasing some really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still hope that, you know, stuff gets released. And, you know, certainly Dangayo and, and Zio Rhymer, you know, they've got Japanese Blu-ray releases. Sure. And they've been fan subbed back. So, you know, it's still available that way. You know, mm-hmm. always say support the uh official releases yeah, but definitely. at the moment really this you know it's the only way, the only goes, way to it? see to see it yeah so you know that's that's the way it is so right let's uh let's get into a bit of context of this era so looking a little bit at the context of where these three shows sit in sort of mecha anime history so uh dangayo came out in 87 so at this time very much was the sort of boom period of the ova's in the mid to late eighties, mm-hmm. um, and AIC, uh, the company, the anim- the anime production company that produced all three of these, were were very much at the forefront of the sort of sci-fi mecha anime OVA series, where sure. the bigger studios like Sunrise and Tatsunoko and Ashi Productions were focusing on those longer running TV, TV stuff, stuff yeah. you know. So, whereas those longer running TV shows from the likes of Sunrise were first and foremost about selling toys and model kits. Mm-hmm. These OVAs were about selling videotapes, so it was trying to do sure. a very different sort of market, wasn't it? So um, definitely, yeah. You know, it was a very different time, and it's a very important time, which is ultimately why we're talking about this now. You know, from what we've reviewed so far, we've looked at a lot of the big franchises we've done, we've covered mm-hmm. Macross, Five Star Stories, but really, having covered that, it was a it was the right time really now to sort of start. You know, we've had the Super Robot, the Real Robot bit, mm-hmm. but at the end of that period, really, we're now into the OVA and the OVA sure. boom that would last probably for the next 20 years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is this is why we're kind of talking about this period now, and because it, it produced some some really really good anime. Yeah, it did. I mean, it's there's there's just um, a sort of real show of imagination and passion in the OVAs of that era. I think. Yeah. You know, there's there's real. Um, you can see the sort of uh, love that people had for this stuff on screen. You know. Yeah. They're just. There's a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears went into the production of this stuff. You know, a lot of it was made quite closely together with a really high level of quality as well. Yeah, yeah. So this was a really busy period for Hirano and a number of other people linked with him at AIC. So Dangayo episode one came out in September 87. Then in December 87, Demon of Steel came out. October 88, you had Dangayo episode two. November 88, you had episode one of Zia Rhymer. June 89, you had the second episode of Zerima. Then July 89, you had the third and final episode of Dangayo. And then December 89, you had the third episode of Zerima. And then episode four of Zerima, the final one, came out in February 1990. So if you look at that... Crazy, really. Those three years, well, two and a half years, <laughs> to be working on all those different things at different times, mm. it's, you know, it's a really, really mental period. And that was kind of... Really, yeah. You know, Japan was in its boom economy, in the bubble economy. Mm-hmm. There was money sloshing around for this stuff. So these guys were just burning yeah. the midnight oil and just knocking this stuff out left, right and centre. Absolutely. You know, you just get a sense that they were just throwing money at these projects and, you know, whatever you want, just uh, 
here's the money to greenlight it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, there's a lot of talk today about burnout and the working out. Mm. You can imagine the production yeah. schedule of producing oh, yeah. all that anime in that period. Uh, Definitely. You know, they, I mean, they must have been working long hours. <laughs> Especially know. since all these shows have really good production quality, yeah. you know? You know, it's there's not, not one of them that's that's kind of falls down on that front. No. So there's you can you can really see yeah where the work's gone absolutely, and yeah. it's it's uh, with the schedule like that as as you've just described, you know, with the, those release dates, you can just imagine what some of these people are going yeah, through. Yeah, you know, there's there's no production or quality skimped at all in either and either these, which we'll talk about a bit more. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a crazy period, really. So, because um, it was quite interesting. I mean, this you know the the burnout thing goes right back to the sixties when um, mm. you know, Lewis and I reviewed um, Hacker Jarden. You know, right at that time at Toei, at the sort of birth of it. You know, and by this time it must have been crazy. It was just like, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, money to make that. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, yeah here you go. Just <laughs> knock yourself out. <laughs> And it's it is it is nuts to think you know that uh, that the industry hasn't changed you know yeah. since the sixties in that regard you know like yeah. still people just getting you know horrendously ill from overwork and then like you say having to burn that midnight oil and just kind of have no life really just <laughs> to get this stuff made and it's 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 a scary sort of uh, thing they just you know they're talking about at the moment how it just can't maintain itself and they're, yeah. they're trying to set up all sorts of unions and things haven't yeah. they yeah just try and prevent this and hopefully going forward that'll be uh, those things will take hold a bit more, and you know we'll we'll get a bit more um, rights for them, I guess. But it's <laughs> but it is it is amazing though the uh, level of quality they managed to maintain with this. It really is. Yeah. So what we're going to do? So we're going to review each of these three OVAs in essentially their release order. So Dangayo, mm-hmm. Demon of Steel, then Zio Rima. Uh, so we're going to look at them individually, purely as an individual works, and then we're mm-hmm. going to sort of compare the three and look at them as a collection of works sure. um, at the end and sort of see how they compare and differences and and, and just sort of compare production and story and, and that sort of thing. So yep. without further ado then, we'll crack on with our first review. Sure. So our first review today is Dangayo. Hajiat Taisei Dangayo or Great Planet Evil Destroyer Dangayo to give it its literal translation or Hyper Combat Unit Dangayo, as it's commonly known in the West, is a three-episode OVA released between 1987 and 1989. Toshihiro would be credited with the director, original creator, screenplay, storyboards, and character design. Koichi Ahata, better known for MD Geist, or also known for as MD Geist, worked infamously. on the screen- infamously <laughs> indeed. <laughs> worked on the screenplay, storyboards. He did the animation direction and the mecha design. Masami Abari worked on storyboards, mecha design, animation direction and key animation. And Shoji Karamori also contributed to the mecha designs. Noboru Aikawa worked on the screenplay, which he did also for Demon of Steel and Zeorima. Hell of a pedigree there. Hell of a pedigree, yeah. Yeah, there's just uh, a lot of big names attached to that. So, um, synopsis of the show. Four young people with telekinetic powers awake with no memory of their former lives and are thrust into an epic battle against the evil space pirates of the bunker under the guidance of Professor Tarson. Hello, 
So let's get into our review of Dangayo. So a little bit on the story. So it starts off with this black screen and a let's begin characters who you don't know who are suddenly mm-hmm. waking up in this strange place being chased yeah. by robots through there's sort of there's a mysterious voice telling them what to do so it kind of gets off into quite an interesting start doesn't it it does definitely yeah it's it's got a very fast pace this first episode yeah um it's it's really well paced and it's fast moving there's no time to get bored with it because you're instantly thrust into a situation where you're wondering who are these characters yeah why are they being attacked and you know what 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 sort of situation are they in um and as we sort of get into it a bit more we find out that they don't actually know who they are no, absolutely. So they meet Professor Tarson. He's wiped their minds, created them, and he's trying to sell them off to some pirates. As yeah, he's... So he's a pretty shady character. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're basically all um, got high... They're all espers, aren't they? They've got high yeah. psychic powers, um, which is yeah. why they've been sort of picked. Yeah, he's um, kind of fostered these psychic abilities in them. So Tarson goes off to meet the pirates, the bunker, and he's got this cyborg with him, Gilberg. And essentially the, the four of them escape don't they? And they, mm-hmm. they run yeah. off, they get out of his clutches. Defy the creator and sort of go off on their own, yeah. So they go off. The pirates then send some of their henchmen off in pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a battle there between between them and then they kind of get away. Uh, there's a bit more character story here. Um, and then at the end of this first episode, you then get the face-off between Gilberg and, and Dungayo. So... I mean, through the, the three episodes, I think it's probably worth talking about this now. It's it kind of focuses on different characters per episode, yes. doesn't it? Essentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And um, you so you kind of get like uh, although there's four main characters, one kind of covers two. Yeah. And the re- and the other ones have just one character as the sort of focus. Yeah. Pi and Mia are kind of the they're the sort of focus of the first episode, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. And then episode Absolutely, two. Yeah is um lambo and then roll is episode three roll is so, episode three yeah so you've got three girls pi lambo and mia and then this one mm-hmm. guy roll um mm-hmm. and interestingly uh roll being the man is the only one who can actually pilot dangayo when it's combined yeah. which you know again <laughs> kind of sign of the no. times yeah a little bit sexist little however bit sexist. he is also the weakest sort of yeah. character probably in terms of his definitely in terms yeah. of strength probably I mean, um, Pi's this kind of badass Amazonian kind of yeah. warrior woman type of uh, sort of character. And the other, the other ones have, like, amazing psychic abilities, whereas he's got this kind of, like, energy barrier thing when yeah. he runs. <laughs> and then episode two focuses on Lamba. Um, basically, she's a princess from a world that was destroyed by the bunker. And, you know, a, her former maiden-in-waiting, sort of handmaid. Yeah. She's kind of a member of the Lillian royal family, isn't she? Yeah. Um She's part of now the henchmen that have the new set of henchmen that have been set to go and get the four um, back from Tarson. <laughs> and then the third episode yeah. falls, uh, focuses on Roll, uh, goes back to his home planet, and again, you know, he kind of recovers his own memories because he's yeah. he's the latest one to kind of figure out where he's sort of from and what yeah. his backstory. So when he goes back to his home world, he, he finally kind of recalls, you know, that he was part of this kind of resistance group, wasn't he? He was like a freedom fighter. Yeah, exactly. Gilberg, you know, he kind of, you think he's dead at the episode, end of episode one. He comes back in episode three as like a super powered, full on cyborg. And he's got mm. two, he's got two henchmen with it who are two former comrades of role, mm-hmm. you know, when he was a. Yeah, when he fighter. was a kind of freedom fighter, yeah. 
and so that focuses on his that focuses on his story. So it's worth stating now that Dungayo was meant to be more than three episodes, and the final episodes were, you know, never made. Because interestingly, the next episode preview of episode two says part one finale. Um, yes. But obviously there was never a part two finale in episode four. Yeah. So that's right. So it kind of indicates what they were aiming at. Yeah. So. And it's quite interesting, really, because it, it flags a few things in that, that next episode preview. You can see it's not finished animation. They've just sketched things to kind of hint mm. at what's going to happen. Sure. Um, because the ending of episode three kind of doesn't really end. No, it doesn't really have a proper resolution. I mean, there's no traditional sort of ending to it. It's There's definitely more story there. It does end in a kind of to-be-continued note. It does end in a kind of to-be-continued way, because the four pilots, the four espers end up sort of hyper jumping into space mm-hmm. and then they're just floating in space and then it ends yeah you don't really find out their fate there's no, no. are they okay are they going to awaken a new era with new characters or, or what you know yeah, there's no yeah exactly there's no kind of real resolution to the bunker either mm. you know, yeah they send a... all these people after them and you know increasingly they're sending the sort of tougher yeah. sort of uh, bad guys after them and you know <laughs> and then Gilberg turns up as this kind of twist actually still alive but they don't yeah. exhaust all the bad guys of the bunker or kill the head of the bunker or anything like no, that no so it was obviously they still a lot, exist there's still a lot more to go there and I think you know interestingly when you look at the release schedule that we talked about you know there was <laughs> such a long gap between each episode that I, I wonder by the time they got to the third episode things were changing as it got into the 90s yeah the yeah. financial sort of the side of the business was changing and possibly they couldn't bankroll those final episodes anymore. Yeah, because the, the bubble burst at, basically mm. at the end of the 90, end of the 80s, sort of 1990s, when the, the, the bubble economy burst in Japan. So, you know, I, I'm sure there must have been a financial bit to it. And having taken yeah, so long, it like... was like, well, we'll get on to episode four in another year's time or two years' time. At that time, then, never came. And then the money had gone. So... It's interesting to know whether episode three, and I I couldn't find whether this was the case or not, um, whether episode three was an adapted ending because they knew they weren't going to make episode Mm. four, or whether that was meant to be the end of episode three, and then there was going to be a proper resolution that wraps up all the stuff that you just mentioned in another year's 18 months' time, so... Yeah, it's hard to know from just seeing it in its in its sort of current form, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's hard to know which one that of, of those it was. Because obviously there's no no, well, there's no next episode preview at the end of episode three, which at which that which point they either knew that was going to be the end of it, mm-hmm. and they consciously ended the OVA series, mm-hmm. um, or they made it maybe made in third and a next episode preview, and we're like. Well, actually, we know we're not making it, so we'll take the preview off and it will just end there. So Yeah, so as not to kind of, uh, you know, so, um, make people want something that's not going to come. Yeah, because there's a, there's a, there was an OVA series, well, the first episode of it was made, um, Relic Armor Legisium, which was meant to be a three-episode OVA, and I think that came out in about 87. And mm-hmm. that has the full next episode preview and to be continued and everything else. And then episode two never got made, basically. Yeah. So you can... that. You know, that's quite interesting because that's Legisium actually is, is a really interesting OVA. Um, but and it was building up to something really interesting. And it's a real yeah. shame that that got that got stopped, really. 
It's funny you mentioned that because that was um, quite a semi-recent watch for me. I only watched that like yeah, about two, nearly two years ago now, and I was really disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I went into it knowing there wasn't uh, you know much more, but it was it was disappointing because it was it was going somewhere that one definitely. But yeah, I mean, regarding uh, getting back to Dangai, it does have a fantastic sort of sense of pacing though. You know, this yeah. it's fast moving. There's no time to get bored in it because the plot's constantly evolving as the heroes find out more about who they are. Yeah. where they're from and it's such a it's looks so beautiful as well there's, in addition to the mega designs there's some truly like crazy alien designs some really yeah, wild absolutely. out there designs yeah. and um this you could tell they were just putting all of their ideas on the screen you know all the all the sort of background aliens in the bunker and stuff and uh that kind of i, I will tell you what always makes me laugh every single time i watch it is that little green alien guy who's like the sort of pet of one of the yeah, uh, bunker yeah. ones who laughs insanely he's like <laughs> yeah All he sits time. on the shoulder of um <laughs> yeah, of the uh the head pirate that's right Gar- and he, he, he reminds me he reminds me of uh salacious crumb in return yes. of the jedi you know yeah, jabba's yeah. little friend he's yeah. always laughing on <laughs> <laughs> he's that sort of character isn't he yeah and, you know again you know we've talked about it I, i've lewis and i've talked about this a lot on on retro anime podcasts but you know there's so much influence from hollywood in 80s mm. anime that very I, much is, i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that some of that was you know directly taken from return yeah. of the Jedi. i wouldn't be surprised at all mm, absolutely yeah I mean, and i mean just the very fact that the star wars films had all that background detail and stuff you yeah, know the, yeah all that stuff that was uh you know wasn't uh meant to be kind of necessarily lingered on too much but you know it all became part of the universe and the kind of fandom i guess the thing is dangayo is it's almost one of those OVAs where it's got a bit of a paper thin plot that just links together loads yeah. of really really good set pieces because the the battle scenes in all three episodes are absolutely spectacular. Yeah, they are. You know, they're 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 really really good. You know, there's there's lots of you know movement. There's lots of detail. You know, they're really well choreographed. You know, there's, some of them are, are quite inventive as well. So I mean, especially like episode twos, because episode two is a bit of an odd episode because it's it is. as we said in the intro, it's got it's a 38 minute episode. The first 12 minutes are basically a recap of episode recap, one, yeah. and then you've got three minutes of end credits and next episode preview at the end. So actually, you've only got like 21 minutes in between all of yeah, that. Yeah, so it's less than a TV episode. It's, less, it's basically yeah, it's basically a TV episode. So. Actually, it doesn't tell very much story. It basically, the bunker, well, I want Dungayo, has these three new henchmen. Then you get Lambda's mm. backstory and Shazaria, who was a handmaid. And they have this fight. Um, the three, Shazaria and her two cohorts, they have Mecha that combine. And they have this amazing mm. fight. And that's kind of basically yeah. the episode. <laughs> it is, but I think it's it's serviceable, though. You know what I mean? It's it's um, There's enough there to kind of get your teeth into. The, yeah. the fact there's the mystery about who they are sort of yeah. keeps it afloat, I think. You know, without that, it might be a bit too kind of just, you know, all style and no substance. Yeah. But, but the fact that, you know, you're finding out in kind of, well, not real time, but you find out as they find out, you know, more about who each character is and their backgrounds and respective sort of their stories. Yeah. That works quite well. And, and it sort of, you know, it props up the fact that it's not just kind of showcase for, cool designs and action and yeah, nice animation because it's actually a really the pacing and the story is actually really tight in that episode mm. i think because yeah. it's only that short amount of time 
much mm-hmm. shorter than in the other two episodes. I say it's really tight. You know, it's really scripted tight. It's paced really well. You know, it chips along and it builds and it doesn't skimp on the build up either. You know, it sets, no. it sets everything up properly when they're on the ice planet and they're being stalked by Shazaria and the, the two others and then builds up into the fight and then the mecha battle and then mm-hmm. the resolution of that and the sort of closure to Lambda and Shazaria's story. It's actually mm-hmm. really well done in 21 minutes. It really is, yeah. Well done. I think that that is a really standout episode. And I, I was um, I was off work sick a couple of years ago and I, I was re-watching it. And I was just, and I, that, it, it again, when I re-watched it um, this week, I thought exactly the same thing as I thought back then. Is this fits in so much into such a short runtime? Yeah. Like you say, it has that it has that sort of uh, that build up and then that sort of payoff and resolution like twenty twenty one yeah. minutes something like yeah. that and you just think, you know, that that's less than a TV episode and, and I always marvel at shows that are more like anthology shows, like something like just give an example, I've just been watching Dirty Pair, that does a that does like yeah. a very similar thing, you know, it's got it fits in a hell of a lot and fits in a hell of a lot of the story and back backstory for characters you'd only meet once and yeah yeah it has good good payoffs and twists sometimes and you're like in less than 25 minutes that's pretty impressive feat yeah, and that made yeah. it solid time back then it's it is pretty cool that they managed that i mean i think episode two is definitely the standout episode of, of the three yeah i'd uh, agree with you there yeah it's, it's my favorite um, out of the three as well because the one the one thing i will say with the story and the sort of structure of the three episodes i think you can feel the effect of the gap between the episodes. Mm. Um, you can there's kind of inconsistencies between yeah. it. As as a collective story, it doesn't feel very tight. I no, it doesn't. Within the episodes, I think it works quite well. There's a bit of the story, but you know, as we said with that release schedule, Hirano and Aikawa, you know, the, the, who did the screenplays, um, because they were working on all those different things at one time, I think a little bit get lost one episode yeah. to the next. Mm. Um, and I think as a sort of cohesive story, I think it suffers from that. I, I, I mm. think it's, and again, I didn't really know, I only really noticed it. Um, and again, this is something that's probably worth talking about as well. I mean, I only seen it in its original episodic form when a fan sub of the Blu-ray release came up like 18 months ago. Yeah, um, that was the same. I'd only seen an edited, kind of strung together version before that. Because I had the VH, the manga VHS of it. I had the the manga DVD, which was just basically the VHS stuck on a DVD. So it was, you know, basically 70 minutes with the 12-minute recap of episode one. So. I'd never seen it um, in its original language, and I'd never seen episode one in its full state before. So that was the first time I saw it, and I think same, yeah. Watching it in its original episodic state for the first time was a bit like, oh, actually, I can. You, you can see the gaps in the story. Yeah. Um, and watching it again, we you know we always watch these things twice to sort of reinforce them, and watching it again sort of so close together it was like yeah do you know what as much as i like the individual episodes mm. and again because of the sort of, not everything works yeah and because of the ending that isn't very conclusive and there's loads of sort of loose ends in it it's like as a cohesive three episode story or story told over three episodes yeah it doesn't really hang together particularly quite as well as it should, as it should. Yeah, no I mean, the third episode has quite a different feel to it really doesn't yeah. it yeah and I think maybe they could have, I mean, 
I don't know whether they even had time to really go back and sort of review everything from the previous ones. God knows with that schedule. Yeah. I, I would like to think that, you know, they went and checked it all, but yeah. who knows at the pace they were making stuff. And it, it, does, it just does feel like it has a bit of a different sort of tone and it has a bit of a different sort of feel to it. Yeah. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the reoccurring uh, characters and attacks and things, it could almost be from a different show in a strange way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it definitely has a different sort of disparate feel, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I say individually, the episodes work, I think, work mm. really, really well. I think the first yeah. one, I think they kind of get better. I think the first one, I think there's bits in, uh, the bit where Gilberg pins Mia, you know, there's a there's a lot of talking in there. Yeah, there it's are, quite verbose, isn't it? You know, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of that in a lot of 80s stuff, isn't it, where the villain yeah. kind of, you know, does go on a bit while he's supposed to be killing the... Uh, <laughs> I suppose it's a problem with Western movies as well, isn't it, really? The whole James Bond thing. Yeah, and I think in episode one <laughs> suffers the most from that. And I think that mm. that kind of takes a little bit of the sort of energy out of it. Because um, it sets off with a really high energy, you know, like a lot of these things. It's a really high energy opening. Um, mm. And then you get, a f- say, a few talky bits that just... Slow it know, down a lot. Slow it down and sap a bit of the energy out. Um, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. They seem to come at uh, times where it could probably do with being a bit more yeah. uh, sort of punchy, yeah. a bit more well-paced. So, yeah, yeah I, totally, I totally get what you're saying. I think, you know, the characters are quite interesting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, each of the four main characters, you know, they're all quite different. They've all got their own mm-hmm. sort of different backstories. Yeah, because you've got Pi, who's the daughter of one of the pirates, and she's rebelling against her pirate upbringing and doesn't want to be part of it. Mia, who lacks confidence. Lambda, who's the spoilt princess. Mm. And Roll, who's the underconfident male character. The thing about Roll is he's he's got quite a level-headed attitude, and he's a little less driven by his emotions than the other characters, you know, because Pi's, like, sort of a bit of a hothead. You know, like... Mia's quite sort of meek and just hesitates to fight. Yeah. And Lambert's quite a sort of sweet, innocent, young sort of girl. Yeah. As well. So he's the only one who's kind of like, well, let's not let, you know, let, <laughs> let's not get away ourselves. Let's think about this for a second. Yeah. So he, he's kind of a bit of a devil's advocate sort of character. You know, he tends to slow things down and say, all right, we need yeah. to think about this. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a little bit less kind of driven by uh, what he's feeling at the moment. So he, he does have that role in the team that makes him quite good. We should yeah. probably talk about their abilities a little bit as well, because I mentioned, um, you know, Roll and this kind of barrier ability thing where he yeah. runs and he creates a sort of psychic barrier. But um, Lamba has an interesting ability. She has, like, a literal finger gun. Yes, You know, yeah. she, she does a sort of finger gun type motion and shoots an energy beam off the fingers, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> and we mentioned that Pi's, like, this kind of badass sort of Amazon type woman yeah. who's quite muscular and sort of lead and can pick up, like, massive sort of things and just chuck them through the air yeah, like they're not yeah. <laughs> and uh and Mia's just like a really powerful psychic who has seems to have like near unlimited psychic ability. Yeah, I mean she's the most she's powerful one, fight. you know, and and that kind of and it's uh, it's a bit of a trope with the sort of characterization, you know, she's like the really sort of meek, mm. really sort of unconfident one, yet she's the most powerful esper. Um you know, she yeah. has the most powerful psychic forces. She has to sort of overcome her confidence issues to really unleash her power mm-hmm. um so i say they're all a bit tropey you know mm-hmm. there's nothing kind of looking back there's kind of nothing even i think in 1987 there was anything particularly 
I suppose not, no, but, but, but again, you know, it sort of serves the... Um, it serves the purpose, yeah. Yeah. You know, it drives the story mm. on, and, and, you know, they Absolutely. fit perfectly in the whole tone and context of this OVA. You know, they're yeah. kind of the perfect characters for that. You know, they drive mm-hmm. the story along in their, in their own way. I mean, the hook is about finding out, you know, who they are. Yeah. And that's like, the you know, the the whole sort of point of this OVA is the kind of mystery of who they are, where they've come from. Yeah. And that is handled quite well, I think. You know, yeah. all of them have interesting backstories. The fact that it's sort of Pi is the kind of daughter of one of the um, Hunger Pirates is quite a nice yeah. sort of dramatic uh, device to kind of, you know, because we'll, there's this whole thing in the first episode of whether she'll betray uh, newfound friends or whether she'll and whether she'll rejoin the bunker or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Roll's backstory with the whole part of the resistance and, you know, this other life that he had before his memories were wiped by Tarson and, and everything, you know, that's, that's, it's very well done. It's very interesting. Yeah. And there's, there's quite, there's, there is some quite good character conflict that goes on with his former comrades and, and yeah. everything as well. So, I mean, it's handled very well. And he, again, this isn't a 26 or 50 episode TV series where you can really, really, delve into those characters yeah i mean it happens quite quick but it delves quite well and i think Mm -hmm. it flashes you know kind of fleshes them all out reasonably well oh yeah and i mean we've also got uh, professor tarson as well i mean he's he's like a kind of i suppose in some ways he's a typical eccentric mad scientist isn't he you know he's um i mean they keep on reminding him throughout the ova like whenever he's kind of like seems like he's 100 percent on their side and he's like you know really sort of um <laughs> rooting for them he's like yeah you're gonna sell us remember that yeah and then he's, then he's <laughs> like running gag about that because then later on he's a bit like well i won't sell you to pirates now you're you're far too good for that i'll sell you to the special forces you know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like you're still on with that <laughs> i think we've proven that we're a bit more uh sort of powerful than you are you know Give it a rest. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's clearly um, has quite flexible morals. You know, he's, yeah, he's willing yeah. to sell this group of quite young kids to, a, to to probably like the most evil and kind of seedy sort of space pirates in the known universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got um, Gil Berge's henchman, who's, who basically just has this massive chip on his shoulder because Tarson's flogging mm. these four espers rather than him you know yeah, he's kind he, of he was like overlooked it's like actually there's a new toy in town that's far more interesting than you so he was thought to probably be his masterpiece before they came yeah. along when he when he managed to sort of well i suppose outdo himself yeah and uh, create a much better weapon he was kind of you know cast aside <laughs> a little bit we should also mention his uh his kind of devotion to the bunker as well because there's a scene where he basically says, you know, this is how far yeah. I'm willing to go to serve the bunker, and he offers his services to them. Yeah. And he actually plucks out his, his eye to eye. show yeah. his determination and just crushes it in his hand. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to come on to that, because I was saying, because he's, he's really driven and determined, and, you know, he'll go to that extent of ripping his own eye out, and then he'll go even sort of more cyborg, you know, and have more of the sort of human bits of him taken away just to sort of get on board with the bunker and defeat these four... That's right, because when he turns pissy, up in episode uh, three, he's like got all these sort of further augmentations where he's yeah. a barely human now, isn't he? Whereas yeah. he was pretty much a human with a few cybernetic parts in the original episode. I really like his design in, in episode three. I think yeah, I think that sort of powered cool. up cyborg, I think his design is, is excellent in that. I, I really mm. like the way they've, they've done that. Um, he's a really, really cool looking... 
Um, the other, then you've kind of got a load of sort of bit part characters, really, who are just the, the bunkers, yeah. henchmen. There's Shazaria, Lambda's maid. You get a little bit in her backstory with with Lambda's backstory about how the Lilith royal family kind of gave up on the planet and she's never mm. forgiven Lambda for that, which is why she's going yeah. after her. And, you know, with the henchmen, I mean, and it's kind of the same story for Roll. You know, he left his planet, you know. Yeah, and he people harbour a grudge. You know, harbouring a grudge. You know, there's common themes in it for, for you know, some mm. of those characters with that. So uh, Definitely, yeah. As we said, we watched this on Blu-ray, um, which kind of really, really demonstrates, highlights. you know, really highlights how good. Well, actually, yeah, I'll stop myself there because we say we watched this in Blu-ray, but episode three was actually an upscale um, because the original masters of episode three have been lost. So there's yeah, no master to make a HD version from this, this, which is a real, real shame. It um, is because there's some great stuff designed and sort of visualized in yeah. episode three. You know, it's. It really does look the part. And uh, unfortunately, I guess we'll never uh, see a, a true uh, sort of Blu-ray um, disc for that episode, no, unfortunately. You can, you can see the difference between episodes one and two and three. The colour um, is like staggeringly different, yeah. isn't it? And that's the thing you notice the most of Blu-ray, I think, is yeah. like how vibrant the colours are. Yeah, because episode one and two look absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. we talked before about you know how good the quality is, but you know the production design and the mm. level of detail... I mean, one bit that really, well, there's quite a few bits that stand out for me. The When you first see the bunker and you get those panning shots of the bunker. Yeah, thing, I've it, got that written down as well. You know, it's, oh, the, it's all the ships amazing. look incredible. Yeah. And, there's, and there's this kind of, although some people might view it as a bit tropey, and I suppose it is a thing you get in 80s anime with aliens quite a lot. You know, the, the really evil bad guys generally have a sort of base that's got a bit of a skull motif on it, like some sort of like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is like a kind of big giant skull like yeah. the base, or at least part of it is. Yeah. Uh, but it looks phenomenal though. It's yeah. like the level of detail of the bits of wiring and sort of lights on it and stuff yeah. are just out of this world and it just really sets this kind of ominous tone when they go to the bunker. It looks fantastic. Because it reminds me of um, at the opening of Do You Remember Love and there's mm-hmm. a bit where the Macross um, comes sort of out of the shadow into the light Yes. And the main ship does that as well. It comes out into the light a bit, and you see the light sort of bathing it and bathing it, yeah, revealing uh, more detail as it kind of goes. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's that kind of thing. It's just, it's absolutely awesome. And Dangayo's transformation scene is mm. spectacular. You know, um, in episode one, like Gil um, Bergs, he's got that big mecha, and then he has like the small one that jumps out of it. Mm. Yeah, you know, the the, de- the design and the detail in that is absolutely um, fantastic. fantastic. And in episode two as well, the three the three smaller yellow craft that then transform mm-hmm. into that sort of yellow mecha. Again, the transformation sequence, the detail, the little movement—it's exquisite. It Every really episode is. is absolutely exquisite, and it's really highlighted by this Blu-ray release and. The opening as well, you know, the, the animation of the opening sequence, I mean, obviously yeah. loads of anime has a great opening, but it just, it has a perfect sort of mixture yeah. of like, you know, a really quite lively sort of like crazy opening song yeah. mixed with like really well-timed animation. Yeah. It just makes me smile at opening. It's yeah, just so I know. It's, full of energy and like the song's like so sort of like madcap. It's, it's great. It's one of those <laughs> things, it's like every time you watch it, it's hard to not, it's hard to skip through and just not watch the opening yeah. of it. 
it's yeah. you know i mean the endings it's kind of generic music and text so you can skip <laughs> that but the opening it's like no i'm just gonna have to watch it you know i can't it's too good to just skip you know we haven't really talked about dan Gaio's abilities but he's he has Booster Knuckle, which is which is the sort of traditional rocket punch, Psychic Wave and Psychic Sword. But Spiral Knuckle is like yeah. a double version of Booster Knuckle, but it yeah. but it spins like wildly out of control yeah, and yeah. kinda then sort of fires off with like real sort of force and blows yeah, things into smithereens. Really cool weapon that is. And then you've got like yeah. a psychic wave, you know, a sort of energy weapon that's Yeah. Because you know, not... they kind of project all their psychic energy yeah. and sort of amplify it through Dangayo and kind of fire it out if you like. And they also use that with the sword as well for the um, for the psychic sword. Yeah. So it's like their abilities kind of power up the mecha, which is not something you always see. It's you know it's not it's not like a standard thing really. I would yeah. say, you know, it's it's the fact that, you know they kind of energize the sort of uh, mecha with their their own innate abilities. I mean, one thing that's quite interesting about those weapons is the original translation. The guy misheard it. Yes. <laughs> called it sidekick. <laughs> sidekick wave and sidekick sword. <laughs> Rather than psychic. <laughs> that is quite unfortunate, really. That's yeah. hilarious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the uh, the early days of subtitles, mainly. All the mecha designs in it are, are really, really good. And as we mentioned, the alien designs too. You know, they, yeah, the alien designs. So much yeah. detail in them. And the characters look great as well. I mean, um, they're the sorts of character designs that I really miss. Yeah, I, I agree. General, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the way, just the way the faces are drawn and the hair and everything, you know, it's... It's just something you just... I really wish there would be this kind... You know how, obviously, with a lot of media, like music, computer games, every piece of media you can think of, there's always callbacks to, like, retro yeah, stuff. You know, the yeah. old, you know, there's a big there's a big sort of... Um, there's sort of resurgence of old musical genres. There's yeah. been loads of big new games being made with old graphical styles and things like that. And yeah. I really wish there was a kind of resurgence of an old-school sort of look yeah. for characters. Yeah. You know, that would be fantastic. I mean, there's been a, maybe a few here and there. I mean, um, occasionally you get one or two, but it would be great if there was a whole movement towards some retro-inspired shows with an old look, yeah, but with great action yeah. values. I would love that. But they are kind of few and far between, sadly. Yeah, they are. And I, I agree. I, you know, it was that character design. Um, you know, that, that whole look is, you know, is really good. And it's and I, and I really like that style as well. I mean, it's it's a real feast for the eyes um, in, in all terms of design. So... Um, One of the only modern anime that I watched recently that had like a, a style that looked like it kind of could could be somewhere between the eighties and nineties that I loved was Megalobox that had a oh yeah had a style that, that just it really kind yeah, of evoked yeah. like stuff and I loved that and that just gave us the sort of feeling that why don't they just bring out more shows with the sort of mo- like old school look yeah. but with modern production values what a fantastic thing that would be it would yeah, be great it's, it's definitely yeah as I say it's definitely moved on mm. to a point where like you say. With the sort of retro resurgence of a lot of other media, it's it's funny how actually anime hasn't done that yet. Yeah, um, unless know, of I, course it's like uh, unless it's of course it's a well loved manga where the artist had a particular style, like something like City Hunter. Yeah. You know, they're not going to change the way Ryo looks because he's an no. established character, or Goku in Dragon Ball. You know, they're not going to change the yeah, way that character looks wildly. But when it's with, an original anime project yeah. and it was just drawn on the fly, not based on any kind of spec of like a previous existing work yeah it's a shame that they can't just go back yeah because even sort of even gundam unicorn and nt still harks back to the original 79 you know to yaz's mm. original character designs it yeah, still has that yeah. look about it you know like i say if it's an established 
kind of franchise. They you know mm. they they keep it on, but sort of new new IP doesn't doesn't do that anymore. Um, yeah, it's a real shame. The one thing I will say about you know the music we've talked about um, the opening mm. uh, sequence. I will say the the music to episode well the end music to episode three that lazy sort of heavy rock song. That's a really good song as well. The other mm. closing music isn't is kind of bit on the script but episode threes is is uh particularly good i think yeah yeah i like the episode three of closing as well it seems quite fitting for the ending as well yeah I mean, it does feel like maybe at that point they kind of knew it was the end yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's a real shame it's a real shame they didn't continue it on and uh you know had some sort of resolution because for all it's kind of uh you know the fact it doesn't have a real kind of ending it is yeah. just such an entertaining over here yeah what rating would you give Dan Gaio? I would say an eight personally. Yeah, I, know mean, I gave it eight. Yeah. It's a shame it trails off a little bit at the end without the sort yeah. of true ending, but otherwise it's a damn fine over here. I mean, those production values are great. You know, everyone seems to have put so much work into it. Like you say, yeah. the, it's a shame that it doesn't quite have that cohesiveness when you watch all three together. Yeah. But I can get past that just because it is a solidly entertaining piece of work. And it's quite well paced for the most part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think ultimately, I certainly can feel the gap between the episodes. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't feel quite cohesive. It doesn't have a good ending or a very conclusive ending. So mm. there's so many loose ends there. But yeah, an eight out of ten, really. What it does do, it does really, really well. very, very well. You know, so you could kind of call the ending an ending. It sort of it it does bring some sort of closure to it. Um, but it just doesn't tie up all the loose ends, really. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, 8 out of 10. to our review of Demon of Steel. Daimaju Gekito Hagani no Oni or Demon of Steel Battle of the Great Demon Beasts is a one episode OVA released in 1987. Toshihiro Hirano would only be credited with the director. Koichi Ahata again worked on the mechanical design and key animation and Masami Abari worked on the animation direction and key animation. Nobru Akaiwa again solely worked on the screenplay for this. The character designs were by Naoki Onda, who was mainly a key animator and did a few other character designs, uh, such as Soul Bianca and Berserk. And the music was by Masahiro Kawasaki. Takia is called back by his friend Haruka to Sansera, a military research base which was the site of a mysterious accident during a military weapons test they were part of three years before. So let's get into our review of Demon of Steel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll come out straight away and say this, is that 
you know, I really, really like this. Absolutely. I loved this. I can't, I can't explain just how much I loved the Soviet. It was great. <laughs> you know, it, it just works as it's an hour long. It's 58 minutes, mm. right? It's in widescreen, which is really interesting because mm. 87 widescreen OVA. I mean, the budget is through the roof yeah. on this. It's really cinematic, the way it's presented. It's, yeah. it, it warrants it. It really does. So I think it, it just does everything so well. So mm. it neatly, you get a nice three-act story. You get mm-hmm. an introduction. You get an introduction to the characters, to Takia. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets this sort of mysterious letter from his best friend on this you know mysterious base out in the um sort of out in the ocean somewhere it does that it sets that up you get a bit of sort of in the middle where he investigates it and then the last 18 minutes is basically this awesome mecha battle yeah absolutely and it just paces it fantastically it does i mean it seems to be completely 100 percent aware of every minute spent in its runtime and just how to use that effectively because yeah. like you say, I mean, it sets it up with this mystery where he receives a, a letter from his friend that he hasn't seen in a couple of years since this incident when yeah. they were testing this kind of, uh, where they were involved in a weapons test Yeah. to do with this kind of laser satellite thing. And um, and he stormed off the base because he wasn't happy about the way it was handled. You know, his superior was a real piece of work, yeah. putting them in danger. Yeah. And he didn't like the way he was kind of treated, so he, he stormed off and decided to leave. And um, when he comes back and he, he basically uh, confronts his friend, he says, I never wrote that letter. Yeah. So, you know, instantly there's this kind of mystery of, well, yeah. well, what the hell is going on here? And it's it's got a real slow burn of tension that yeah, builds yeah. up really nicely. Yeah. You know, something really weird and kind of, you know, possibly sort of otherworldly sort of supernatural is going on. Yeah. And it has a, a real threatening air of menace from yeah. the very beginning. And it just sets that up and it's very it has a very ominous tone. And Haruka, his best friend who set the uh, the letter, mm-hmm. you kind of see this kind of descent into madness mm-hmm. as it Very as it goes so, through. Yeah. You see him acting a bit odd. And his colleagues and friends say he's changed. There's not something's not right with him, and he's yeah. been behaving very strangely recently. It all sort of revolves around this MacGuffin, the the Quark of Mohanda, <laughs> you know, which is basically yeah. this sort of new particle that they sort of developed and discovered. This, discovered at this research center and weaponized it and it basically opens yeah. up a portal to another mm-hmm. dimension doesn't it and this and lets these kind of monstrosities, monstrosities through through yeah <laughs> these mechanical monstrosities or biomechanical monstrosities i guess yeah i think yeah and i think they're kind of biomechanical aren't they i think that's the kind of hence the title yeah <laughs> you know the whole thing is it's kind of piecing it together yeah gallon gallon is like the military commander guy, isn't guy yeah. gallon hyatt's and he's, he really is a real piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> he, he sort of puts them in uh, real danger and ordered them to retrieve the sample. Yeah. Uh, despite the danger that they were putting in and threatened that if they didn't retrieve it, they'd be shot. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, Harriet still works for him. <laughs> you know, there's the love interest, Lise, as well, you know, and she's still working on the base and she's been promoted and Haruka had this yeah. girlfriend, Rui. Um, mm-hmm. who still works has there, thing. has a thing, yeah, has a thing for Takuya as well, and he blows her out, which I was like, eh, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, um, I mean, when Takuya leaves the base, he does so in quite dramatic fashion. Yeah. And he kind of just leaves her behind. Like, yeah. he kind of just leaves Lise behind. He's kind of like, 
well, you know, I'm not having this and I'm I'm going and you can come with us or you, or, you know, yeah. make your mind up sort of thing. And she's put in a really difficult position. Yeah. But she's she's not military at the time, is she? She's like no. a researcher or something. She's or a some, researcher, yeah, absolutely. Or some other sort of stuff anyway. But in the time that he's been away, she's become a sort of soldier and she's now like kind of part of the project, if you like. Yeah. Because there's basically a time gap of about three years from when this event happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of weapons test with the... Weapons the um... test, yeah. And then they've kind of been researching it. And this is when, you know, after some time, Takia comes back to the island. Um, he gets the letter and then he comes back to meet Tariqa and see what's why yeah. he's asked for his help. Because he, cause he sounds quite desperate in the letter, doesn't he? Sort yeah. of uh, wanting want the help of his old, his old friend. Because like you say, there's this ominous feel to it. And Rui has mm. his tarot cards and, you know, brings out the one that shows death when she's talking about what happens. And, you know, they sort of then have this second weapons test, don't they? And which then brings out the second... The second sort of biomechanical body creature. Out of the dimension. Um, and that then sets up the final the battle. Because the first mm. one is basically calling... Um, yeah, Haruka, isn't it? I mean, that's what's that's right. Yeah, that's of... what's kind of causing his descent in yeah. the madness. It's kind of making him. It's kind of you know, it's turning him sort yeah. of uh, evil. Basically, slowly he starts to kind of lose his grip on sanity and become yeah, like, a bit of a psycho essentially. Yeah. Really, he decides you know, starts to completely lose it until he becomes quite violent and unhinged, and then is finally kind of like, well, sort of summoned, I guess, by the uh, mechanical monster and kind of like sucked inside it and sort of fuses with it and at that point it becomes quite sort of well if you've ever seen the like films of the likes of like david cronberg or shinny yeah, sikamoto yeah. you know a lot of cronberg's films are the tetsuo movies by yes, uh, yeah by sikamoto it's very like sort of wires that could be wires or it could be tendrils kind yeah. of inserting themselves into his body and he kind of becomes one with it yeah absolutely and because all the way through there's bits where there's hints of what's happening there's like this video you know they can't get into the video file. It's like mega top secret. And they mm. find this video of Haruka talking about the body and where it comes from, you know, and it's, you know, Rui's trying to get into it and Haruka ends up killing her, you know. It, it, there's all this cat and mouse story mm. that proceeds all the way through it. Yeah, but at that, at that point, you know he's been affected by something and you know there's definitely something... It's something to do with the kind of weapons platform test in this other dimension. Yeah. But it's not explicit. You you haven't seen the creatures yet or anything as such. And it kind of keeps it all, you know, it keeps the sort of tension going until yeah. that kind of reveal where you finally see it. And it's uh, it's really, really well done. Because when uh, Takuya finds Rui with Haruka, you know, and then uh, Haruka gives the artifact, you know, there's all these... Haruka has this inner conflict... He knows he's not right, yeah. which is why he sends the letter. And yes, he, he still right. has this conflict until he ultimately goes to the body. And, and as you say, he becomes, he, one, with becomes it, yeah. one with it. You know, there's this inner conflict that's going on with him. That he's he wants battling. to be stopped. Yeah. yeah. But he, he sends that letter because he, cause he knows he can't control himself. When it yeah. has control and it's at the forefront of his mind, he can't, he yeah. can't fight. And then all that builds up. And then ultimately you end up with this awesome mecha battle mm. you get the scene before the sort of big battle where Takuya goes to the uh, like a kind of submersible vehicle to get into yeah. the other mecha to kind of like become one with it so he can fight him yeah and you get this kind of like recap of everything that's happened with a sort of with a, with the song playing over it over yes. the uh, yeah, yeah. it kind of recaps everything yeah and considering the, the story is so short 
it almost shouldn't work, but it it kind it of does. does. Yeah. It's nice the way it kind of like neatly sort of summarizes everything, shows you everything that's happened up until that point, and kind of puts you like in the kind of emotional place that the tacky is in. Because yeah. without giving too much away, something quite tragic happens that kind of forces him to have his hand and makes yeah. him want to fight his friend. Yeah. Because up to the very last minute, he resists the fact he has to fight him. Yeah. But when he sees kind of, you know, what a monster he's become, well, actually kind of literally <laughs> at yeah. the end, you know, he's kind of, his hand is forced. So it kind of neatly sort of brings you to his way of thinking with this kind of, you know, sort of like real, kind of showreel, I guess, of everything that's happened with this song with quite funny sort of English lyrics over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think actually when what he's and saying that ultimately is why this OVA works so well, because... Mm. It's only got a few characters. It's only got two mecha. It focuses on just a few elements and does yeah. it does them really, really well. As a live action film, it'd be one of those films that only has about like you know, sort of like five sets in it or something, yeah, and about yeah. like six characters. And yeah, obviously, if it was a movie, it would have an insane special effects budget. But you, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it would be minimalist in terms of the sets and characters, even though it would need some pretty good effects. Yeah, so it's it's you're just always with the characters and kind of. Mm. you know this sort of slow burn attention and it just but that that scene and that kind of way it recaps just neatly brings you to where you to that confrontation really yeah. well I think. and it's quite a short recap but it like you say it just does enough to say right this is what's happened in the previous 40 minutes and now we're off into the sort of finale set piece um, mm. and then takes you into this sort of fantastic battle between two mecha and you know, and like I say, it does it because it just focuses on those two mecha. Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't bog itself down. It doesn't complicate itself. It's mm. like, you know, the whole story is, you know, these two things, this research base, they've pulled these two bodies out of this other dimension. And now they're going to these two friends face off in these two, you know, yeah. alter dimensional beings. Um, and it is just an awesome battle scene. You know, it's a third of the it OVA, is, yeah. basically. Um mm. You know, it's but it doesn't feel overwrought or necessary no. because you've had this nice lead up to it. And you get the battle's really good because you get a nice sort of back and forth between the two because Haruka is like, you know, he's the overpowered one, um, mm. you know, and sort of Takuya takes him to it. And, you know, I love the way the battle evolves. The detail in the mecha and the battle mm. is, like we was talking about with Dangayo, is absolutely exquisite. Yeah, um, it really is. And you get this sort of transma- transformation and evolution of Haruka's mecha. Um, mm-hmm. And you see it, like, grow wings and it evolves. Oh, and mm-hmm. it, like, as it does it, I mean, it's spectacular. It is. And I think that, um, you know, it because I always find that, you know, in sort of short OVAs and all, you know, like, or maybe even example, like a movie that doesn't really explain everything about its mythology, you're always left kind of wondering about it and it makes the gears in your mind work and kind of think, well, what exactly is this and where does it yeah. come from and what's its function in the other world? Is it like a kind of yeah. soldier? Is it something really powerful? Yeah, yeah. You know, is it like, is it alive? Does it have a conscience? Is it like sentient? Yeah. Or is it just like a tool for war? And because it has all this amazing detail, it makes you think about these things and really yeah. kind of wonder about that stuff, I think. You know, there's this bit where um, Takia's mecha, it's got like a, a blast of something and you can see it whereas when it's when Haruka's opening up the dimensional port and you can see it like peeling off the outer skin of it mm. you know, and it's like it's amazing and in that battle I love the bit where Haruka sends him up into this wormhole 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get this bit where he Takia sort of comes round, and then he sort of pulls himself out of the wormhole and attacks yeah. Takia. And I absolutely love that bit. I think yeah, the whole it's... sound effects, the music, you know, the yeah, the... even the sound design is really amazing. It's like you know, it's got like otherworldly yeah. sort of noises. You know, like the way they kind of move and everything has like uh, and some of the sort of weapon noises and that sort of thing just sound great. Um. It's it's just really well uh, kind of realised in every in every way really. You know, as you said, like there's this whole sort of unnerving, unsettling atmosphere all the way through it, mm. and through that battle, you know, because it's in the dark and it's you know lightning, it's there's real menace yeah. to it. And I so say as Takuya pulls himself out of the wormhole, that like it really ramps the tension up, and then he finishes off Haruka. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just spectacularly done, and it closes then really well as well. You know, mm-hmm. it it kind of wraps up, you know, all the loose ends and you know a sort of conclusion to the story mm-hmm. um, at the end. You know, and it, a very it, sort it, of neat conclusion. You know, it's it's like you said, it doesn't waste any time. It's just uh, its running time is quite compact for everything we get really. And ultimately, you know, this island base is destroyed and there's debris in the sea and you just see Takia floating and you don't know whether he's alive or dead and it's just that it's just yeah. a perfect closing scene yeah or it reminds image, me of like it reminds me of sort of classic endings to films where the kind of fate of the characters is left uncertain but it yeah. kind of makes you more fascinated about yeah. the film more than like wanting to know one way or the other yeah it's like you know it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of films like that that have kind of uncertain endings that I really like yeah where it kind of makes us examine the film, or in this case the anime more, and just be like, that is really quite quite fascinating. I'll, you know, I, I, I sort of want to know, but at the same time I don't. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Because there's lots of bits in it as well. Um, when the battle starts, there's a bit, you know, Galen, he gets crushed in this battleship. Um, mm. And again, you, the whole detail as the ship crushes him and he gets crushed in it. It's got some really, really good music over the top of it. But there's mm. lots of bits in it, you know, they have this seconds test as well, which then brings the second body. And there's this scene where the four main characters are having dinner, having this really awkward reunion, yeah. um, which is really, really well done. You know, there's mm-hmm. you know genuine personal awkwardness in it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you know, there's obviously something going wrong. And then the government or a government sends the army in to take over. Mm-hmm. And that causes its own complications and stuff. You know, it's just... yeah. It fits all these bits in. It never feels over full and it never feels no. rushed or it never feels like there's gaps or loose ends. It just tells this amazing story in 58 minutes. Yeah, I, I highly agree. I think it's, um, you know, it's it's just kind of like a masterclass in sort of... Uh, yeah. In sort of screenwriting and the way that it just... It just sort of lays everything out. Everything has a resolution. Yeah. And it's just, like, well-paced for its running time and you know. there's no time to get... Uh, to, to sort of kind of let your mind wander while watching this no and you know all the characters motivations you know who they mm-hmm. are you know all their yeah. backgrounds you know kind of what makes them tick yeah absolutely you know, yeah. They, all, they all have a start middle and end to their stories mm-hmm. i say the whole world you understand it builds quite quickly you understand what it's doing it gets resolved and then along the way through it, it looks amazing. The submersible design, the laser satellite design that they use at the end to try and kill off the mecha and stuff, you know, it just, it's all exquisite. And it yeah, just... it is. It's got, it's got that real sense of like, um, 
it's got that sort of real kind of shaded look where everything yeah. has like sort of line work on it. Yeah. And it has lots of like sort of use of the light and shadow. And I really like that sort of art style with 80s stuff. It just, it always looks phenomenal. You know, it's one of these things, unfortunately, I mean, there was a DVD release from this in 2002 or something like that, you know, and it's one of those things like with what you see with Dan Gaio and Zia Reimer. It's like, God, you know, a HD release of this would be mm. absolutely phenomenal. And the fact that it's got its DVD release, it's like, I'd like to think there's some masters out there, but what's happened with episode three of Dungeo, it's difficult mm. to know whether yeah, some exactly. masters exist for this anymore. Um, mm. I mean, looking into it, you know, it was a, a minor hit. It didn't get much. It got a DVD release, like I say, much later than the likes of Zero Rhymer and Detonator yeah. Organ and a lot of AIC's much sort of more prolific works. You know, it never mm-hmm. got a release in the West. But given how good it is, really surprises me. Yeah, I mean... It's, I was like, I was blown away by how much I enjoyed it because yeah. you know it's not something I've ever heard people talking about. I only knew about it because of researching like the works of uh, Abari and of um, Hirano as well. Yeah. Uh, you know it's and and it was well, something I was getting meant to get around to watching, and I think it's you know the fact I haven't really heard it talked about much and it didn't have the greatest sort of you know reviews and ratings online. No. Kind of made us sort of put us off watching it for a while and. I only really got around to it as of this review, as I mentioned, and I kind of wish I'd watched it years ago, to be honest with you. I was going to come on to something you just said there. I mean, generally, it gets very, very mixed reviews. I think it's, it mm. seems to be a very love or hate. People either love it or they hate it. I mean, there's a lot of really um, sort of bad reviews of it out there. Yeah. I remember I've seen it discussed fleetingly on Twitter, and people say, you know, I watched Demon of Steel, uh, what a load of drivel. And I'm like... Oh, you know, are you watching the same thing? Um, but I th- it's, again, I think it's one of those things that appeals to our generation mm. of fans. If you yeah. grew up with anime in the 90s and grew up with this aesthetic and everything else, mm. I think you love it. I, th- I can understand why a modern fan um, yeah. would struggle with this a little bit. Mm. But in terms of storytelling, like you say, it's a masterclass in script writing and storytelling. Because it is so succinct, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've... Very to the point. I probably first watched this, you know, maybe about 15 years ago, and I've lost count of the number of times I've seen it. You know, I often talk about the anime that reminds me of why I like anime. Sure. And this is this is one mm. of them, you know. I'd have to agree, and I, I, I sort of wish that I'd been like you, watched it countless times already, because... You know, some things you kind of when when we're watching like a short OVA or a film or something, we get to watch it a couple of times. Sometimes, you know, like the second, it's, most of the time, I kind of enjoy the second rewatch. But this, like, I was just like, yeah, there's no problem with me watching that again. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know? ended up watching it a third no time because it was just like, oh, you know, I mean, I hadn't watched it probably for maybe three or four years prior to this review. I watched it again and thought, oh god, you know, I've forgotten just how much I like this OVA. Mm-hmm. I ended up watching it a third time. I remember the first time I watched it and was sat there and blown away by it and then watched it again quite quickly soon after. And it's, I say, it's something I come back to very, very regularly. Mm. I say, I do struggle why people dislike it so much. Yeah, I do as well. Maybe it is a sort of generational thing and the fact that, you know, I think you get to a certain age with sort of films, TV and anime and stuff and you kind of feel like, you know, you like things that are more more succinct and to the point. Yeah. You know, that kind of present a complete story as, as well yeah. and you know don't kind of leave too many things hanging but also don't kind of like you know just sort of outstay the welcome yeah and also the whole like just going off on a slightly different tangent here is that the, the whole biomechanical thing 
it's just not something you see in mega things very often and that no, no. is fantastic yeah it's it's just very imaginatively done yeah was it, we talked about this a little bit of that in Five Star Stories in a little regard because one of them had a living computer, but yeah. but here it's totally the focus and it's really just like you can tell they've really thought about a lot of stuff that probably isn't communicated to the viewer, but they know about. Like yeah, it yeah. kind of feels like a bit like you know sort of you know a lot of sci-fi fantasy stuff like um, you know we mentioned Star Wars earlier having a lot of background detail and characters who are on yeah. screen for two seconds. But they thought about what those characters would look like and kind yeah, of realised yeah, them. Yeah. In a similar way, it kind of feels like they've probably developed a bit of a kind of mythology and ideas about where these things come from. Yeah. Without actually communicating to the viewer, and that is just brilliant. Because one of the things that's quite interesting and quite different for a mecha anime is that the mecha don't have names; they are just yeah. machines that appear from another They're dimension. They're just a kind of foreign bodies from another universe. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I think the. Do they give them any sort of designation, like a code or something, or no, just say the No, they don't. They just the bodies, aren't they? The art, yeah. You know, they they have just the artifact. The, yeah, that, that is how they refer them. It's like the artifact that we recovered yeah. from, from the satellite sort of thing. You know, yeah, and I, and I like that. It's just and and that's what kind of makes it so different. I think mm. you know the the government experiment secretive thing is not new, but the way it yeah. does it in the context of the mecha mm-hmm. and and everything else, I think is. I just think it's really, really well done. It just feels um, quite special and unique yeah. in many ways. And and I think that um, I just have always really enjoyed stories that pit characters that formerly had like close bonds against yeah. each other yeah. always have like a real sense of drama to them. Yeah. Because uh, it's just a great catalyst for dramatic storytelling. You know, it's, you know, two people who were once close in some way, be them sort of, you yeah. know, be kind of friends or you know, in a relationship or whatever, you know, and now kind of on opposing sides having to fight each other. And it's the fact that also, you know, Haruka is clearly aware of the fact that he's becoming yeah. this horrible sort of, you know, he's, see, it's turning him into a sort of evil yeah. uh, being and he's basically resisting that and he kind of wants his friend to kill him, really. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's always like quite a sort of, evokes quite an emotional response. Yeah, definitely. You know, like the, the fact that, you know, he wants somebody who he cares about to kill him and, he wants his team to be the one to take him out, sort of thing. The relationships that the two main male characters have with the females, like the bit that bit we referred to where Rui comes on to Takia and she blows him off, it's well, it's just done in a really realistic manner. There's no yeah. caricature about it or anything. Mm-hmm. It's it's how that scene would play out in real life, you know. It's just it's that attention to detail in the characters. Um, sure. So in this yeah. very short running time, that makes it work so well. You know, there's, it's very mm-hmm. believable the relationships between them mm-hmm. and Haruka's this descent into madness. It's yeah, it's just it's, it's spectacularly well paced. You know, I, I use this word very sparingly, but it's in my eyes, it's almost perfect. Mm. You know, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, it just uh, it lends itself to rewatching it so yeah. easily. You know, I had no qualms about it. I was like looking forward to watching it again and and i'm gonna it's something that i'm gonna revisit probably quite a lot of the years in a similar way to the you have and i i do wish i'd watched it years ago and i'm just kind of praying for an hd release at some point yeah, we, I, we I, need a better quality version of this out there somewhere because yeah. this this copy that, that we've kind of sourced doesn't look the best even for you know even for the kind of standard uh, definition that it's in you know it's it's kind of you know not looking great and it's a real shame yeah, I'm pretty sure this version I've got, which is the only 
fan tub I've ever seen of it. I'm sure it's taken from a VHS release. Mm, I was going to say that it looks the colours are quite muted. Yeah, it looks like I'm sure it's from a VHS. Taken from that, and as you mentioned, there was a DVD, but I'm guessing nobody who owns no, a Japanese one accepted possibly. Yeah, because the DVD. I mean, I had this fan sub like eight years before the DVD came out, and I've never seen a another fan sub of it. Um, this no. is the only fan sub I've seen of it. So, like I say, no one's bothered to go back to the DVD, which I'm sure would look a little bit better still. Definitely, um, yeah. And it's, and that's kind of what's the sad thing about it. I think the fact that you know no one's bothered with the DVD release. The DVD had a very short run. I remember it went out of print very quickly in Japan. You know, it got a very small DVD print run, which doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence that we're going to see a Blu-ray no. or something of it. No, unfortunately um, not. Which is which is a crying shame because, like I say, I think for an, an hour's entertainment, mm. you, I don't think you can you can't go far go wrong. wrong watching this. <laughs> if you like yeah. a good story, good characters, good mecha, you know, battles, good design. I say it's in widescreen, which really adds, like you said at the beginning, Craig, a real cinematic feel to it. Yeah, um, it, it has this kind of like, like I was talking about the uh, the designs and the fact they seem to have kind of, you know, put all this stuff on the screen that they don't necessarily explain, but they possibly know a bit more about. Yeah. It, because it has this sort of otherworldly feel, and there's just something quite yeah. special about that, you know, and the, it just has a sort of um, a feel to it that a lot of mecha doesn't have as a result. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's quite special to me because, you know, we do, for all we like, love this stuff, you do see a lot of repetition, a lot of things again and again. Yeah. And that is one thing that really sets it apart is those those kind of unique sort of living kind of mecha designs with the whole sort of uh, thing that where, you know, some parts of it are possibly yeah. uh, mechanical, some parts are possibly alive, and it's it's just really well done. Yeah, definitely. Because it's got that widescreen, you know, there's some great panning shots and sort of establishing shots of stuff because it's got the screen space to do it, which you don't get in a lot of other OVAs that are shot in 4.3. No. You know, it, it uses that room. It does feel like a short film. Yeah, it does. And, it, and it'd be interesting to know what the uh, decision behind that yeah, yeah, was, absolutely. You know, why they decided to go, whether it was just because they wanted to show something in its in a sort of cinematic way or whether... You know, it it perhaps was intended to be exhibited at the cinema or something like that. You know, I yeah. mean, who knows? Because as far as I can tell, going back through the works of AIC prior to this, this was AIC's first widescreen production, as mm. far as I can tell. So sure. it was again bubble economy, got this mm. idea, and it was maybe like, yeah, go and do it in widescreen. We'll see how you it know, turns out. See how it turns <laughs> out. You know, I I have to give this ten out of ten. This is practically perfect in my eyes there's very yeah. few other anime which are perfect in my eyes there's only mm-hmm. three or four that i can probably say but it's just so good for an hour and it does so much more better in an hour that two hour yeah. films 26 episode tv series you know don't do character agree. work as well it as just, this does yeah because it it does a lot with the short run time it has and it never outstays its welcome i'm gonna go with the 10 as well because i think that you know, it's just economical with what it has yeah. and does everything fantastically. So, you know, judging it against like a sort of longer work, it may may sort of get a different rating. But I think that because of you know, it's a self-contained work, it deserves a ten. Yeah. And I know that loads of people are going to go, "Are you crazy?" And you know, yeah. we discussed the fact that loads of people um, just don't seem to like it. But it's just a very special OVA to me, and I 
like I say, I kind of uh, feel like I've been missing out all this time by having not watched it before. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, shining recommendation from me. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I think it is, it is a bit of a masterclass in how you can be economical and write stuff mm. in a really efficient manner. And waste nothing, I guess. And waste yeah. nothing, you know. I, yeah, it's a massive recommendation from me. I highly recommend people go and try and find it. Um, I'm not sure if the fan sub is still available. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but it's, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, well worth your time, absolutely. So now on to Zeorimer. Mayo Project Zeorimer, or Hades Project Zeorimer, is a four-episode OVA released between 1988 and 1990. Toshihiro Hirano would be credited with director and storyboards. Nobru Aikawa again worked solely on the screenplay. Mechanical designs were by Hideki Kakinuma, Kimitoshi Yamani, and Yasuhiro Moriki. Character design was by Michitaka Kikuchi. Uh, he was again another sort of mainly a key animator who did a few other character design works. Mm. And music was by Eiichi Karamura. An evil secret society called Sakoryu, commonly known as How Dragon, plots to rule the Earth with their elite fighting force, the Geshu. Skilled pilots piloting powerful robots. Meanwhile, young Masato Akitsu is kidnapped by the government and is forced to pilot a robot called Zeraima in order to stop How Dragon's plans. テッコーリーハウドラゴンの異名を持つ世界を掌握戦とするこの巨大な結社は白血臭と言われる巨大ロボット軍団を作り上げたがその内の一体はある人物によって結び出されひそかに日本に隠されていたその名はテンノゼオ
sort of evil organization that sort of tried to rule the world using yeah. these electronic brain uh, things as a front, this kind yeah. of like technology that's typical MacGuffin. Yeah. But it get that kind of gets forgotten about quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so it, as you said, it's kind of like an exposition dump, and as it's kind of explaining, you get this voiceover talking about Takoryu and also known as How Dragon. It shows you the different mecha that represent them on yeah. the sort of screen, kind yeah. of flashing by, and you you kind of get this kind of establishing stuff where it kind of sets the scene a little bit. Yeah, and you get, you know, I say this underworld organisation and Yurite, who's this, you know, female... Empress. Empress of it, um, you know, and how, you know, they need to get back. You know, there's this traitor, Masaki Kihara, and, you know, he mm-hmm. stole Zeraima, and, and then they need to get yeah, Zeraima back. Yeah, story begins, yeah. Yeah, you know, it establishes all of that because they need to invoke the Hades project and, and everything. Yeah, you know, it does, it does a the lot Hades of stuff. project is kind of like... Seemingly a kind of apocalyptic plan involving yes. Zeraima. Yeah. You know, they need Zeraima to, to sort of initiate Project Hades, if you like. Yeah. And it is a very typical kind of supervillains, kind of like, you know, yes. final yeah. sort of push to take over the world kind of plan. And then, you know, there's this, the, the IEB organisation, which is this computer front of the, mm-hmm. in it, you know, and, and they're using their technology to tap into all the computers in the world. and These you know, electronic it, brain things. and Yeah. Yeah. You know, it does. It kind of it's it sets all that up. What's quite interesting is it, then each episode kind of focuses on a set of characters, mainly mm. from the Hell Dragon organization. You know, it, yeah. It's it sort of in the first one, it's um, the Lannister of the Wind. You know, um, who's he's the, he's the pilot of Lannister of the Wind. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's Eurite's lover and everything. You know, and his sad story and everything. Yeah. And, you know, eventually... she kind of has to pick him to sort of send him against Zeraima, yeah. doesn't he? And doesn't she? And kind of sends him to die effectively, really. Yeah. And, and what basically happens is all these characters kind of die off. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. this big, there's this big conspiracy, and she sends them out sort of one at a time or whatever, and they get killed by Zeraima. And, and yeah. until she ultimately faces off against Zeraima herself at the end. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, Masato has been selected to pilot Zeraima, but he doesn't know anything about it. No. You know, he, this is news to him. He's kind of, like, locked up by the government and kind of treated really shabbily. Yeah. You know, fed a sort of horrible gruel-type substance yeah. and kind of beaten up and that. And he kind of just sort of snaps a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> As they're transporting him in a sort of prison van, he kind of grabs one of them <laughs> and tries to sort of take him hostage. And But uh, you, they eventually kind of reveal to him that he's been selected to pilot it and only he can do it because he's... Yeah genetically kind of programmed to do it yeah then you get the reveal really then of you know his link to kiahara um mm-hmm. and essentially kiahara he stole the zero rhymer because he wanted to invoke hades project himself and he wanted to rule the world and be master of the underworld yeah he wanted to be the head of of how dragon and and so basically so basically, he had these. Um, he created all these embryos, and he programmed this one embryo with him, basically. Mm-hmm. And and then you kind of get this by you know Masato's kind of bipolar, really, isn't he? Yeah, he's kind he of has schizophrenic him as a rather. second personality, if you like. Yeah. So it's kind of like an insurance plan to sort yeah. of effectively kind of make himself reborn at a later date. <laughs> and then it's a crazy of, plot. It is a crazy plot, and then you kind of and then through the later episodes, you've basically got this. In a struggle with Masato mm. and Kihara, 
as who's going to, which personality is going to come out on become top. The dominant, become the one, dominant yeah. one, you know. Isn't it? And, in, and in a really interesting way, it kind of flips between the two. Because elements of the story are really interesting. Yeah. But there's a lot of it that doesn't really make a great deal of sense, I think. Yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of it that's that's kind of a bit too out there. There's, yeah. It feels like they've got a lot of solid sci-fi concepts, but they kind of just threw everything at the wall. Yeah. And it becomes so sort of muddled towards the end as to, like, why... There's a lot of questions you'll ask yourself when you're watching this over here, such as, why the hell did they not just make a new uh, Mega for Urity? Yeah. <laughs> One that was, you know, if they can make something as powerful as the Arima, why can they not make something that supersedes it? Yeah. And, you know, and there's a million other questions you'll ask yourself like that <laughs> during the course of watching this. <laughs> I kind of feel there's too many characters in the Hell Dragon mm. organization. Yeah. For the four episodes, which, again, if you look at the screen time, it's only a, it's only really about 85 minutes of actual s- storytelling screen time. Yeah. So it's... It's basically, you know, the same length as something like Ghost in the Shell. You know, it's that kind of standard 88 minute or 82 minute of um, story time that a lot of Japanese films run to. So it's effectively a movie, you know, a short mm. movie in, in screen time. I feel there's too many baddies in it. Yeah. It thins itself out too much, I think, trying to get it around does. it all. I think there's just there's just too much in it in general for four episodes. Yeah. You know, the the thing is, is you've got all this kind of struggle with his with his identity, which is an interesting concept. But it, yeah. there's a lot of it about his insurance policy and you know programming the zygote with uh, with himself. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it, and it just kind of um, like you say, she Urite the Empress sends another one of her henchmen out to sort of fight Zeraima. Yeah, and they all have kind of like these sort of psychological hangups, don't they? Yeah, you know, they, they all do. have something yeah. wrong with yeah. them. That leads to the kind of demise, like there's two sisters who have yeah. to be perfectly in sync, yeah. who actually kind of hate each other at the yeah. beginning. You know? They really don't get on, so that's obviously not going to go well. <laughs> and they're kind of jealous of each other, kind mm. of thing, aren't they? You know. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that one of them is the lover of Yurte, and she kind of doesn't want to show weakness in sending him out there yeah. to fight, but effectively she knows she's kind of sending him to die because he probably can't defeat Zeraima. Yeah. But every character has something that sort of you know, they have this kind of, like, big sort of, you know, sort of trauma and kind of psychological problem that yeah, yeah. is interesting from a story point of view, but it's also kind of weighs down the series a little bit, I would say. Yeah. It kind of struggles from one episode to the next in how it, the continuity from one to the mm-hmm. next, because episode one focus was with Yurite saying that she's going to face Zeraima, but mm-hmm. then she doesn't really. It then focuses on the twins, and then at the end of episode yeah. two, it's like... Next episode, it's Ritsu in Rose Cellar V, you know, yeah. and you get this narration, you know, and it's kind of like, well, it doesn't kind of ha- hang up. I think the first episode three, I will say, I think is a really, really good episode. I think episode three mm. is the best episode my, of, the, of the four. Strangely enough, that is quite unified in this episode because, yeah, that is my favourite as well. I feel that that one does the most. It's it's definitely the one that has the best kind of uh sort of feel they were best pace and the best sort of story elements and yeah. some pretty cool action in it as well and it feels like that whole episode gels a lot more than the other ones do yeah now that's the other ones don't feel very cohesive at all yeah. really. and you've taken the words out of my mouth there because that's exactly how i would describe it episode three seems to gel and it has the most interesting story bits in it because it, it starts yeah. off with that mysterious 
sort of spaceship or satellite thing, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you get in, it, in this IEB network and it gets reprogrammed. And then get the RCLV thing. It all kind of works together. And then you get, you know, Miku is basically this, she is the coupler system because there's hints of it in the other two yeah. episodes. But then you, there's this fantastic sequence where there's this sort of you, scientist that's working for Hail Dragon. Who's mm, she's examining her. Yeah. To see why they need the sort of subpilot thing. Yeah. And this whole coupler system that's really important to the Zerimer. And then she suddenly transforms and sort of teleports into the Zerimer. That sequence and that bit of mm. it is really, really good. And it's, it's yeah. bits like that that work so well in episode three. Yeah. And make it's... it a really good episode. Yeah, and it's it's like um you know throughout the series there's it's peppered with great little things like this to keep yeah. you watching it. It's a shame it just can't come together more yeah. story wise to be a bit more cohesive, but it does have a lot of nice little elements in it like that. I agree. Um, but that is a really cool sequence where she's kind of revealed to be a machine and yeah. just like sort of a robot that kind of interfaces with Zerimer. Uh, that is, and you realise that she's the actual coupler system they've been referring to. And there's this whole bit as well, because Yuritai, she asks the scientist, you know, she gives him a hard time of why he didn't tell her that she wasn't human, because he discovers quite early on in that episode when he's investigating, mm. um, you know, and the way, again, the Masato or personality. Know, personality sort of goes back and forth between the evil one and the good one. I mean, it, it, it just really comes together. And, you know, the whole the satellite system bit and, you know, the bit of the IB network, it it gels. It tells a really, mm. really interesting story that actually comes together and feels mm-hmm. quite cohesive. And then episode four kind of loses it a little bit. Yeah, again. it does, yeah. It's it's a bit of a shame that because it's, it's just, um, I think by this point, you know, they've just, they've, they've sort of thrown too much up in the air and it yeah. becomes, it becomes too much of a sort of typical sort of final episode, but not in a good way. You know, it's, it's um it's kind of like a final showdown episode, but it doesn't really bring everything from the previous episodes together. No. And it doesn't feel particularly satisfying. And I think that's the thing about, you know, the show as a whole, is that it's, it has a lot of good elements. But for me, it just doesn't feel like everything comes together in a satisfying way. It's too... There's all too many disparate parts kind of floating around. Yeah, and, you know, as we said, it, like, it focuses on lots of different characters because in episode four you come round to um rockwell and um Saige, you know and they're blossoming in love and they kind of admit they're in love with each other and everything um and that they've all you know um she says that she's always loved him and and everything else and zeriger then destroys them once they've sort of re- revealed this unrequented love to each other and it, because it has this, well, this week, this episode, we're going to focus on these two. And this episode, you're going to focus on these two. In trying to tell the overall story of Zia Rima and how Dragon's bid to take the underworld and then mm-hmm. having these all these characters appear and, dis- and then get killed off. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't work in parallel mm. particularly well. Um, if they'd sort of chosen one or the other to sort of focus on, yeah, made it more about the characters and you know the the characters within Takori Stroke How Dragon, uh, or they'd made it, you know, like um, just you know focusing on the whole aspect of Zeraima, yeah, and uh, Masato Stroke Kihara, it would have been um, a lot better. They needed to kind of settle on something and develop it more, or have a bigger episode count really. 
to develop both those things. Yeah, I think it needed fewer characters in How a Dragon. Mm, yeah. Um, because the actual story of the evil organisation and this bloke who turn, who is turncoat programming the embryo and then his personality coming back out and this sort of battle with the Zero Rhymer, internal battle within the Zero Rhymer, mm-hmm. as well as battling this evil organisation that wants to take the world to Hades... <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and and everything is is really really interesting, um, mm-hmm. and it just struggles. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it has all these interesting concepts that just aren't handled very well uh, for me. I think it's just you know, it's sort of like you say, it's it struggles keeping them all you know afloat and sort of yeah. keeping everything uh, together really. And you know, like there's just um, so many things that seem unnecessary about uh, how dragons kind of like uh, members. They all feel like they should be a lot more interesting characters than they yes. actually are. Yeah. Like the kind of, despite them having some really quite sort of unusual kind of hang-ups and sort of psychological issues, yeah. considering like the the ideas that that sort of govern that are really good, they're not that interesting. No, no, I know. They're what kind you mean. of cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Cutouts yeah. of characters with not yeah. a lot of characterization. I mean, for example, if I, when I explain you know, this to, to like the sort of audience, they're going to sound, this character's going to sound really interesting. But when you actually watch it, they're really not. And you know, because one of the, one of the characters has this kind of uh, problem with the fact that when uh, Kiyohara sort of designed them, he created a kind of female yes. embryo yeah. of, of what should have been a man. So he kind of like, he basically looks like a woman. Yeah. But he kind of has like the sort of mind of a man. But he doesn't actually look that much like a woman, if, no. if I'm honest, to the character design. It looks more like a bloke to me, just with yeah. quite long, effeminate hair, but with a quite sort of... Well, I mean, by anime standards, he doesn't look like that effeminate, that effeminate really. No. Would you he, agree? Well, yeah, because I, I, I feel... Because that's um, uh, Ritz, isn't it? I mean, I think his, his character reminds me a little bit of Five Star Stories, where it's kind of... They're clearly man, but there's that slight feminism to him. And, yeah, he's not, he's not as feminine as he's so worried about... <laughs> You know. Yeah, he really isn't, and he's kind of got this. You know, he wants revenge on Kiara yeah. and everything. You know, he's like, "You've totally destroyed my life," and you're like, "Really? Yeah. <laughs> is, is it really that bad?" You know, especially in the. I suppose it's probably another one of those things in the kind of more enlightened age, age we live yeah. in now, where you know, there's uh, there's there's a lot more kind of discussion about gender and that sort of thing. But yeah. you know, even back then, you're like, you look, you've got slightly effeminate hair, and you. But you still look like a man. It's yeah. not, you know, it's, it's not destroyed your life, mate. You know, <laughs> have a bit of a reality check. Because <laughs> the character thing, because Yuritai, actually, one of the things I really like with the characters is Yuritai's struggle. But it's all fallen on her to lead this organisation. Mm. And she struggles. Yeah. And she mm. has this internal struggle to be evil and to actually yeah. bring harm to the world. And I really like the way that plays out over the four episodes. That is a good element of the character. I feel like she is probably the best sort of character yeah. of, if how dragon because of that because you know she does have that scene in the final episode where she talks about how you know she knows that she has to sort of you kind of effectively press the doomsday button if you like you know and yeah kind of send the world to sort of hell but she also knows it's the wrong thing to do and um and that is probably the most kind of interesting sort of uh piece of characterization without within how dragon unfortunately you know it's it's kind of makes her a bit more human and less of the kind of like sort of maniacally chuckling bad guy, you know? Less of a trope, I suppose. Yeah, because I think if it focused more on her... If you had this parallel of her with her internal struggle to be 
who's struggled to be evil and, and let's say, set off the apocalypse. And then you've got Masato with Kihara, you know, and that sort of schizophrenic internal battle with Masato running in parallel. You've got one who who is the one who's trying to, you know, lead the apocalypse, yeah. who doesn't really want to. And then you've got the, you know, this the, the evil one who's trying to break out of a good person. You know, mm-hmm. you've got a bad person trying to be good and a good person who's trying not to be bad in yeah. parallel. And I think if they'd focused on that yeah, and had that run in parallel, I think it could have been a much more, in- and not had all the other character stuff, which diluted mm-hmm. the story a bit. Mm-hmm. I think it could have been a much more interesting story overall. Definitely. And it could have been quite psychological. Yeah. You know, the you know, they had the kind of opportunity, I suppose, to do something a bit more, you know, the likes of like Evangelion or something, you know, yeah. that goes into the character's sort of psyches and gives yeah, you yeah. like sort of metaphysical stuff as well yeah. and like psychological stuff that really you can kind of get your own sort of interpretation from. There's, they had all, all, there's, there's a lot of scope and a lot of potential with this yeah. over here. And I just feel like a lot of it's kind of wasted, unfortunately. Yeah. Like I want to kind of like it more than I do. Yeah, and and, I, and the funny thing about it is that you know I feel like, you know, when I look back at when I first watched it in the nineties, yeah, it you know obviously they had the dub working against it because the the manga yeah. video dubs were awful back then as we've discussed, but it, and you know that kind of lent made the sort of struggle of the characters a lot more hammy and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, but I still feel exactly the same way as I did when I watched it back then. Is that it just drops the ball on the kind of emotional and psychological aspects. Yeah. Gives you, yeah, some of the mega designs are quite nice. You know, there's some good action in it here and there, but it just needed more in terms of the characters and the story. You know, it needed to have all, it all need to be hooked together a bit more neatly and to give you a more satisfying sort of story. And the, but there's, there's elements there that are really good. Yeah. Yeah. But cause... it's frustrating. Like I always find that if, if you see a film that has a lot of like, really creative aspects to it it's really has some really interesting aspects but it does nothing with those aspects i find that a lot more frustrating than an outright bad film yeah yeah it's just bad like you know this has no saving grace you know yeah yeah, yeah. i'd rather watch so i'd almost rather watch something that's completely crap yeah it has, has no redeeming features so i don't have that level of frustration of what might have been yeah <laughs> i know what you mean because you know, when I first watched this, I lapped it up because mm. there wasn't much else about in 99 yeah. when this got released on VHS. And mm. I absolutely lapped it I up, with, that, yeah. you know, with Detonator Organ and, and mm. all that stuff, because there just wasn't much about, you know, and I've seen other, a few other bits and pieces on, on VHS fan subs, mm. but there wasn't a huge amount. So the fact that there no, was, was a bit of a drought of mecha stuff back stuff, then, you know, the fact that it was there and it had cool looking mecha, you know, and, you know, it had, space weapons and all the rest of it i absolutely lapped it up and i remember buying the cpm discs you know probably sort of 2006 seven ish sort of thing and i really enjoyed watching it then but it's probably been a good gap i probably hadn't seen it since the turn of the decade it's been similar for me because um i didn't own it and uh, i've actually borrowed it from a friend and i don't believe i've actually seen it since the vhs days oh really so at dangayo i had seen you know a few yeah. times um but it's you know it's kind of uh, i'm pretty sure i haven't seen it since then and i still kind of felt pretty much the same about it which i think you know a lot of things that i do kind of you know when it's going back that far probably changed my opinion a bit but on this one it's i think i'm kind of uh exactly the same as i was back then yeah i have to say personally i've changed my opinion on this quite a bit i think there's probably been a good eight year gap 
Um, I watched it quite a bit on VHS. I enjoyed it. Like I say, I was lapping it up. I enjoyed it on DVD. But then going back and, and watching it now, I'm a bit like, oh, I can really see the flaws in it. You know, I can really see how all these characters really dilute the story and actually mm-hmm. how thin the story is at times as well. Yeah. And like I say, even though the episodes were reasonably, you know, there's a reasonable time frame in, in their release. You know, it's fairly regular sort of six month gaps between episodes. Um, it's, there's still those sort of slightly incoherent bits from one episode to the, do you know what I mean? Mm. It kind of loses that, yeah, that the does. time gap between it kind of, it loses that little bit of coherence. You can mm-hmm. see that they had this idea for episode one and obviously there was a story, but they've got six months to think about, you know, because with mm. TV anime, they want a really tight schedule, you know, and they can, yeah. and depending on how it's being received, you know, they have a little bit of time to sort of change things and whatever. But with sure. the OVAs, they've got a lot of time yeah, to kind of think about stuff. Yeah, so I you sort of and, feel like they should have done yeah. a bit better job than what they did, I guess. You know, and I, I think, and a bit like with Dangayo, I think there's that little bit of, maybe they were working on too much mm. at the time. I don't know. Um, Quite possibly. Cause the maybe ending, they put too much effort into Demon of Steel, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Because the ending, it comes to an end, you know. That, you know, Masato and Miku and Yuritai face off and Masato mm. destroys them all. And, and actually... Um, one thing I will say about the very ending is there's this massive explosion, which you can see mm. from outer space. And reality, yeah. if there was an explosion that big on Earth, it would completely <laughs> obliterate the Earth. You know, it we would destroy it. We talked about anime physics in the last yeah. episode with uh, Daltanius creating yeah. a mini nuke every time he takes out an enemy yeah. Uh, robot. And yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I thought about that. You know, and, and the, the more sort of cynical part of me, you know, while watching this this time, I mean... Because back then, when I first saw it, you know, I would have been in my teens, and I probably didn't have the powers of critical analysis that I have yeah, now. But yeah, so, exactly. So yeah. I, I sort of feel, you know, like I probably did enjoy it a little bit more. I'm not saying I felt exactly the same way about it. Yeah. But certainly, I can analyse it a bit more now as an adult. And I sort of feel almost like they felt like they created quite a bit of a mess, and they just thought, let's just blow it all up at the end, yeah. and just let's just <laughs> literally destroy the whole thing with a kind of big apocalyptic nuke. You know. Cause... And I, <laughs> The blast radius on that explosion is about a thousand miles. You know, yeah. it, it would have absolutely destroyed the Earth, probably knock it out of its orbit. It's that big an explosion. You know, I mean, and but this... ultimately, you know, the conclusion they come to is the, the only way to, to stop Masaki Kihara's plot is to destroy everything. You know? Yeah, and I, and, that, and I suppose as a conclusive ending, it's like you know we've got to do that. so that kind of makes sense yeah. and ties up. You know, so. In, in that sense, well, it's also that, kind of lazy in a way as well. It, it is you know, kind of lazy of, in a way, yeah. It's there's quite there's probably quite a few kind of you know sort of not very greatly sort of plotted uh, movies over years and things that just kind of end with everything being blown up and yeah, <laughs> kind you of know, bad uh, end. at least uh, at least it's a logical ending that I ties suppose, up yeah. the loose ends. Yeah, in I, respect, I get where you're coming you from know, in that respect. I say it's lazy, but it does the job reasonably well, I think. Um, and if you kind of ex- and if you expect any kind of you know big showdown between Yurite uh, and um, and Masao, you might be disappointed as yeah, well because it's yeah. literally a case of she almost kind of well she does really let him kill her really doesn't yeah, she? she basically, kinda, yeah. She sort of resigns herself to the fact that she kind of wants to be killed by him effectively. So she, there's no real battle between the two. Yeah. It is just a one-sided kind of well, well you know. I know what you've come to do, so here I am, sort of thing. On, on the plus side, there are some quite cool-looking mecha 
And there mm. are some quite good mecha battles. I mean, it does do that yeah. bit pretty yeah, well. Yeah, we haven't, hadn't got into that too much, had we? But you, uh, know, you know, and it's worth saying now as well, we watched the fan sub with the Blu-ray release of this. Uh, you know, we'll go into this a bit more when we compare the three, but it does look a bit different. To, yeah, it does. You know, there is a very different art style to this. Mm. Um, and the mecha are different and, you know, and... I think it's for that it's good. Uh, I mean, yeah. I quite like, I like the Zerama's design. Yeah, it's that's quite an unusual design. Um, yeah, and I think that uh, all of the uh, Mega have quite sort of you know they they definitely don't have typical designs. You couldn't say that no. about them. And I like the fact that the sort of abilities kind of reflect the pilots a little bit as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice touch. Yeah, and you know I've been quite down on it, but it does have you know some some sort of nice elements. There's some things that are good about it. Uh, it's just that. You know, story-wise, it could ju- it just kind of loses yeah. me a little bit. I think from a mecha point of view, I mean, you do, as you said, you don't really get the big mecha showdown at the end. Mm. Um, but I suppose there has been enough kind of big fights throughout to whet your appetite yeah. if you're looking for that sort of thing. And that's I should find that out. I was exactly the point I was going to make. I think there's enough through the four episodes, and even in episode four, there's quite mm. a few battles before you get to the mm. ending bit. Um, so you don't really get this big showdown. But if you want to watch something that's got sort of good mecha action, it certainly delivers on on that respect. You know, it's well choreographed. Yeah. It looks nice. You know, it's, it's a nice artwork, some nice detail, and that respect, it's pretty good. It's got some fairly good music in it as well. So yeah, it's got, got know you know that. it's got fairly decent production values and everything. They've not really scrimped on on that side of it as well. Apart from Zero Rhyme, I don't think there's really sort of very many memorable. No, I think they're good and they're they're not conventional, but they're yeah. um, but they they certainly don't like. I mean, I, I actually struggle to picture what every single one looks like. Yeah, I, I Landstar, agree. Yeah. Landstar of the Wind, I can kind of bring to mind, kind of probably because it's the first one. It's kind of yeah, you know, quite a sort of uh, you know important moment in the story. But I but I think that uh, you know I couldn't picture them all. Definitely not. No, and that's, there, there that's probably quite telling, really. And even compared to you know by this stage, like nineteen eighty eight. You know, there's been an awful lot of mecha, and I I do think there's something quite unique about the mecha in Zio Rhymer. Um, mm. There is, you know, there's a little bit that reminds me a little bit of um, August from Super Dimension Century. I see where you're coming from there, yeah. There's a little bit of the August about some of them, because um, I think the August is quite a unique design. It is, yeah. As well. such... um, I like the fact that they've done something different with it. You know, mm. they're not. You certainly couldn't call any of them sort of cookie cutter kind of you no. know generic. Yeah. Even if they're not all necessarily that memorable, they're not like you know they're yeah. not kind of bland. We did top ten mecha lists, you know, last mm. year, and certainly there's nothing in Zero Rhymer, even the Zero Rhymer itself, that I think's really going to challenge. No. The, the designs and that we picked out for our uh, top tens. So. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it's it's decent. I, Zero Rhymer. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't call it bad. No, I wouldn't call it bad. It's certainly not terrible. It's got a lot of in- interesting ideas and yeah. concepts. It's just the way it handles those concepts. Yeah. Um, I don't like. It's kind. Of, you know, some of the twists are like they have good ideas behind them, but how they're kind of executed is not necessarily that well done. Yeah. I just don't feel like it's it's very. There are elements of the story that don't feel very natural in how yeah. they progress. If you just want to watch something that. You know, has some nice sort of uh, action in it. it. Has good production values, and you're not too concerned about being riveted by the story. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. 
yeah, there are good elements to it. It's not a waste of time. I think, you know, four episodes, it's quite good. It's a seven out of ten, I think. I think there's enough good stuff in there. Like I say, episode three is really, really good. Mm. That, you I know, that's so a really bizarre. standout episode in, in the four. So, you know, mm. that kind I of really sh- lifts the whole OVA, I think, that one. That one I would idea. probably say um I'd probably say a six for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's above average, definitely. Yeah, it's above uh, average. Yeah. You're watchable, but I would say nothing to write home about, as they say. <laughs> I think if episode three hadn't been as good as it was, then mm. I think it would certainly have dragged. I would have certainly given it a low score. Like yeah. I say, I think that there are good elements in it. Episode three is a really good uh, mm-hmm. episode. You, you watch something like this because it's got Mecca in it. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it kind of and it does deliver on that front. Mm. So um, yeah, so it's yeah above average. I think that's, that's yeah. the best way to summarise it. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Yeah. So now we'll have a look at sort of comparing the three OVAs um, against each other. Sure. Um, I think there's a few things that kind of stand out. Uh, one, <laughs> you know, Hirano was definitely into the psychic supernatural thing. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's quite a fundamental theme that runs through all three OVAs, really, isn't mm. it? Yeah, and some of his other stuff that we haven't talked about, like, you know, some other stuff that's outside the scope of the review. Yeah. Other works that he did and stuff, yeah. He was Definitely. he was quite into that, yeah. You know, let's say Vampire Princess Miu and whatever. So, and I really like the way he's blended those supernatural or psychic elements with mm. Mecha. I think that's yeah. He's done it very. He's blended the two sort of genres very very well. I think. Definitely, I love the idea that you know somebody's in it sort of abilities like their kind of psychic abilities as a pilot yeah. makes the sort of Mecha more powerful in Dangayo. And kind of you know lends lends its kind of strength to an attack. That is that is quite cool in the way it's it's sort of handled. I mean, it's not you know Gundam was kind of doing the new type thing, and you mm. know certainly through the very beginning of the eighties, the whole Esper thing was you yeah, know very true. very popular. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a very very big thing. You know, um, Justy and um, the Lock the Superman series, all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, it was a very, very big thing toward the terror. You know, the Esper thing in the early 80s was mm. was very powerful. But the way he's actually combined it truly with the mecha genre, I, th- yeah, I, I think just, it's a I bit of a really, different take on it. Yeah. Compared to, you know, like, you know, somebody having the heightened senses as yeah. a pilot, kind of being, you know, sort of uh, able to control it better because of their abilities, like a new type, you know. The fact that they kind of actually sort of power up their kind yeah. of mecha, kind of literally launch a kind of psychic wave out it's just quite a cool sort of thing yeah I'd, I'd really enjoy that and then the supernatural element yeah as you mentioned with demon of steel you know it's that is um just really well handled it's like the kind of fact that these kind of mechanical monstrosities from another world are yeah kind of pilotable <laughs> i mean all three of them have quite similar sort of character structures and character themes as well you know they in each episode it kind of if you look at Dangayo, 
that sort of focused on lots of different characters in each episode. Zero Rhymer did that as well. We had uh, all these characters and focused on them in different episodes. Demon of Steel only had the one episode, so yeah. it could only focus on those characters. But, True. There, you know, there's a lot of real character focus, you know, real sort of going into backstories and motivations mm. and stuff, which is quite common. Hirano really does that. Um, and he uses the flashback thing a lot because mm. all three OVAs have quite a lot of use yes. of flashback. They definitely um, do, yeah. So, you know, with each episode focusing on particular characters, the fact that these are kind of all cope you know produced in parallel you know whether he just mm. had that mindset of well i want Possibly, to do this yeah. i mean it's, it'd be interesting though is what was going on there with him on that um, maybe it's just a kind of you know a story device he quite favored and thought he could kind of you know reuse but in a different way yeah because they all kind of build tension and drama in the same way mm. you know that there's the same mechanisms done exceptionally well in demon of steel and done kind of less well in Zia Rhymer. But mm-hmm. he's using the same sort of techniques, you yeah, know, in, in how he's... decently in Dangayo. And decently in Dangayo. Yeah, and Dangayo sits somewhere in between you know, it, the it's two. It's kind of like, well, as we discussed, you know, it, it serves... this. The story serves the sort of action quite well. You yeah. know, it's, it's sort of simplistic. Yeah, it, but it does, yeah. It, it sort of does the job it's, it's kind of meant to, so... Because what's really interesting about these three, though, when we gave all the, the names of the people of the production crew mm-hmm. for Dangaya, as you said, it's quite an eclectic list of names. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, like, at that period, because on the um, XA1 DVD, there's a, a video of um, mm-hmm. Hirano sat there with his wife with Masami Abari. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were all kind of thicker. And you look at um, Ohata as well, you know, they were all thick as thieves mm. back then. Um, you know, yeah. all kind of working on each other's bit, mm-hmm. you know, and Karamori, you know, he's, I mean, he turns up everywhere yeah, in the 80s, you know, he's... Industry legend, really. He's, you know, you know he gets, he's, he's involved in so, so many different things. And, you know, Abari, you know, he, he he did lots of stuff, you know, openings for a sunrise and, you know, they all kind of got around a bit. So you can see there's these, all these names, which at the time were, they were unknowns, really. Yeah. It was a really formative period at AIC and all became legends in their own right. You know, a harder, mm. you know, <laughs> maybe not for the right reasons, <laughs> you know. As we've discussed. As we discussed. I'm not sure anyone wants MD Geistus <laughs> as their legacy. But, um, but you know, a harder did a lot of other really good stuff, you know, outside. Mm. It's a bit of a shame he gets kind of, his name is kind of tinged. Dragged through the mud. You know, uh, stained like with yeah. MD Geist because... There's so much other good stuff he did. You know, Barry yeah. went on to have a very long and illustrious career doing all mm-hmm. sorts of different stuff. Karamori was already a legend before he kind of, you know, he'd already done the Macross sure. bit. Um, so, but if you look at the rest of the stuff that they did afterwards, you know, uh-huh. there's Dangayo and Demon of Steel has a really distinct look. You can see yeah. Masami Abari and Ahata's fingerprints mm-hmm. all over those two OVAs. You know, sure. if you look at Detonator Organ... Takagami, Guardian of Darkness, even in Vampire Princess Miyu, there's, you, yeah. you can feel, you, there's a look and stuff that, you know, that's Horano, but there sure. is a look that in there, and, and all the mecha stuff, you know, Jenna, Cyber, and, and everything, there's, there is that look that came from the mid to 80s, mm-hmm. that all three of those, or all four of those people carried on with, you know, and yeah. it's kind of instantly recognisable. Mm-hmm. But then Zia Rima, you know, its production crew, apart from 
Aikawa and Hirano, the production crew is completely different. And yeah. you can really feel that because it looks and feels very different it from does, the other yeah. two. Character design, everything. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's just it does it does feel like uh, quite a sort of different work. And it's it is kind of felt, especially when you watch the three of them together like we have. Yeah. It really, really stands out as something different because even though Hirano, you know, directed it and did the storyboards and Aikawa did the screenplay, because none of the crew basically from the previous two OVAs worked on this. It mm-hmm. just feels, yes, the story elements are the same, as we said, you know, the way it builds tension, the way it deals with characters and everything else are the same, but everything else about it feels very, very mm. different. And I think a lot of that comes with, you know, the character, you know, the mecha designs, the, the animation direction. Mm. Um, yeah. It, it just really, really feels different, even it though does. it's using the same story elements. You know. I wonder if there was something uh, of a problem with adaptation as well, because you know the the they adapted it from a manga, but they changed it quite a lot from yes. its original source material. Yeah. Because originally it was a manga by Yoshiki Takea, who um, was the creator of the Gaiver. He did it under a pen name because the manga had hentai elements. I, mm. I forget the pseudonym he used. So they stripped all those sexual elements away, and um, apparently, I mean, I've not read the manga, but apparently it's only really the character names and the mecha that are the same. Yeah. There's actually the story's quite different. And I wonder if the, it was a case of, you know, working with somebody to adapt the work. There was a few sort of pitfalls and problems, and they weren't really sure what direction to go in it with it, possibly. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't even know how closely, it's, if Takea if worked on it, or if he worked on it particularly closely with them. I'm not that I'll fear with it. Perhaps that presented its own challenges. Yeah, because really. I thought that was really interesting when, when I first read that as well, because, you know, the other two are kind of original works from mm. Hirano and his team, and sure. then this one, he's adapted it. Um, mm-hmm. From you know someone else's work, and I, I yeah, and I, I it's interesting to see how different this ends up is because really by the time Zeraima came out, Ahata and and Masami Abari were kind of started to become superstars in their own right, you know. Yeah, Bari did a couple of episodes of Bubblegum Crisis, and you know mm-hmm. they were they were spreading their wings. You know he was doing opening for Dragon R by this point as mm-hmm. well. You know so. You know, they were doing work outside of AIC and sure, they were being uh, kind of outsourced and you know doing they, all the stuff elsewhere. And you know, exactly, they'd established themselves and were growing under their own name now, not necessarily on, you know, under the company under the, the, of Hirano, you know, which yeah. it, it kind of launched them with. So I wonder if that's one of the reasons why it ended up with you know such a different crew mm. um, and the fact that they were adapting someone else's work as well. So yeah, it's. Yeah, it's interesting to know because it's it, it is so different from a look and feel really point is, of view. Yeah. It is a bit of an oddity in some ways. Yeah, you know, it does it does kind of feel like you know an ambitious work, but one that just doesn't quite quite sort of you know quite all gel together properly, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, th- I, I kind of want... see what they were going for, and I kind of wish that you know they'd achieved exactly what they possibly set out to do from the beginning, but it feels like the end result. Somewhere in the middle got kind of lost a bit. Yeah, because I can understand why they had to do something different. Because I think if you'd had the same production, if you, you know, if you had a Harter and a Bari on Zero Rhymer, mm-hmm. you'd have just ended up with another Dangayo, but mm. telling Zero Rhymer's story. Do you know what I mean? I think it yeah, would have like, ended up looking the same. It would have had the kind of more super robot kind of yeah. sort of pronounced elements. Yeah. They were quite a bit more fantastical, but telling some, trying to tell some of Zero Rhymer's kind of story with the yeah. sort of whole multiple personality thing and the kind of betrayal aspect and the, the evil organization sort of stuff 
And yeah. I don't think that would have worked. It would have been a bit no. of an odd, odd duck. That. So I think you'd have ended up with a lot of the the same type of thing if all those guys had worked on Zero So I can understand maybe, like I say, AIC going, do you know what? You guys are really good. We actually want you to go and do this and do this. Mm-hmm. And we want these guys now to work on something with Hirano. Sure. And we'll do something different. And because... As we said in the at the beginning, you no, know, the purpose of these OVAs was to sell videotapes and yeah. and maybe something else which looked just like <laughs> Demon of Steel and Dangai. <laughs> and oh, we've seen this before in the previous couple of years, you know. So, mm-hmm. so I can understand maybe there was a bit of a marketing perspective for it, which mm-hmm. which had, had driven it. And I and I think it's a good thing that you know it is different from the other two. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe some of the elements that made it strong. The other two so mm-hmm. strong have ultimately maybe weakened yeah. Zero Rhyme a bit as yeah. well. You know, I see where you're coming from, yeah. Mm. It's difficult, you know, I'd love to know a little bit more about what was going on, you know. That, yeah, that me whole too. period was so busy, um, mm. you know, because Dragonar was 87, um, and at this point was Bubblegum Crisis was kicking off as well, so... Mm. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to know what was going if on at the, AIC. If they'd kept a lot of footage and kind of stuff that chronicles that period of production, yeah, when they're working on so many different shows, it'd be really interesting to see just the conversations that were going on and the thing that, yeah. you know, the way these these sort of big figures were kind of sparking off each other and creating ideas and and you know just what, if anything, you know, they they decided if they made any definitive decision right we're not going to do this show this way we're not going to have elements of this we're not going to, or or we are going to with this particular one yeah just seeing those conversations and sort of seeing the germination for the for the seeds of like plotting different things would have been really interesting you know just yeah. seeing the creative process of a lot of these quite you know which are now kind of industry legends uh, would, at that time would be yeah. quite interesting because you know he'd done the first hirano had done the first two episodes of Zero Rider before he went back and did the final episode of Dangayo as well, mm. you know. So there was lots of it was mixing and matching with lots of different, you know. The only constant is him and Aikawa doing the the, the screenplays. Yeah, you know everything. Mm. You know he's working. Other than that, he's working with lots of different people in that in that late, very late eighties period. So yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how. You know, maybe he had to do it for his own creative sanity. It's like, yeah. you know what, I need to go and work with some different people and do something different because I've mm. worked, you know, Abari'd worked with on XO1 as well. So, mm. you know, it's like, you know, yeah. maybe, I, you know, people maybe need space experiencing and stuff. Yeah. kind of yeah. a burnout with uh, a creative burnout. Or like you say, yeah. if you need that sort of space, maybe just unfortunately got sick of working with the same people. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it's, it sounds harsh, but, you know, it yeah. does happen. Um, I'd love to know whether that was really driven by the studio or by him, you know. Mm. Uh, so there's lots of different elements, you know, creative elements in there that that really make Dangayo and Demon of Steel sort of from one mould and then Zeroima from a, a very, very different mould. Yeah. As well. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah a really fascinating time, which I think is, you know, ultimately why I really wanted to cover these. Mm. Um, because it was, a, you know... It was something. It's very different to the Super Robot and the Real Robot TV stuff that we've covered so yeah, far on the podcast. Definitely. And when yeah. you first sort of mentioned um, these, you know, and I, I knew they're all from the same year, but I didn't actually realise just how closely together they were made. Yeah. And obviously, I have the background of knowing a lot of this stuff was made very quickly, as as we've discussed on the uh, podcast before. But I didn't just I didn't realise just how closely these had been made together. Yeah. I, and you know, by yourself, some less staff. I, I knew some of the people involved, but I probably don't have the exact 
kind of breadth of, uh, of knowledge of production stuff as yourself. But it's, it's uh, you know, when you laid it out at the beginning, just looking at that, you know, in black and white, it is pretty insane that um, all that was made in such a short period of time. Really. Yeah. Um, and this kind of, we, we've had a question um, for this episode, and I think mm. this comparison bit is the, the right time to sort of answer it. So, um, Mage Intenshi, at Mage Intenshi on, on Twitter, he asks, I always felt that Dangayo and Zio Rima exist in the same Hirano universe. What do you think? As a Mecha and Akira Kamiya fan as well, I consider Dangayo to be a timeless classic Mecha short OVA, but that great Dangayo does not exist and should not have been made. <laughs> <laughs> great oh. Dangayo is bad. I've got I've got the uh, DVDs of that, 12 episodes, uh-huh. it, and it is bad. It isn't, it isn't a patch. It doesn't look as good. And mm. I think it got extended, Dango. I think it was meant to be six episodes, but they ended up making 12 in it. And it really it shows. Yeah. Right. Really... Yeah. I mean, I've, I'm saying that I haven't actually watched it myself. I've not seen it, but I have heard, um, you know, a pretty uniform opinion on it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing that because I suppose, you know, there's, there's one episode on Earth in Dangayo, isn't there? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, all of Zeraima pretty much takes place on Earth. Yeah. I suppose there's not a great deal to kind of contradict that they couldn't be the same universe, but at the same time, Maybe if there was an evil organization, kind of, you know, like like uh, how Dragon, yeah, um, that was kind of making its influence felt on Earth, would Dangayo have had time to kind of sidestep into that? Probably yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I I struggle to see them as part of the same universe. Yeah. If I'm perfectly honest. I think I, they, I can't they, see it myself. I think that there's nothing that you know necessarily 100% contradicts that, but at the same time, tonally they're very different. Yeah, they, yeah. I think you know, one's very much a you know, Dangayo is very much as is very much a space sci-fi ESP sort of psychic thing. It's Zirama very much embraces its science fiction yeah. origins, doesn't it? It's out and out sci-fi, like un, unbridled sci-fi without any kind of grounding in reality, I guess. Yeah, and Zirama has much more of the conspiracy theory stuff that's in Demon of Steel. I think there's more do you know what i mean sort of shady yeah. organization stuff. involved the military are involved in all that sort of thing yeah. yeah you know that i think there's more commonality in the story elements between those two rather than between Zerama mm. and and dangayo i see what he means about the uh, the akira kamiya link because obviously the voiced characters yeah. within within both of them so yeah i can see that but uh but yeah in terms of you know they they are quite different works in terms of the universe as the same yeah very much so Dango, timeless classic. Yeah, I can, I kind of agree with that. I don't think it's, I say, as we said, it's certainly in the view, not forgettable by any means. It's very, very memorable, kind of, you know, lovely looking. Yeah. And quite sort of fun, obviously. I guess it I would is. Say. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, Tarson's character can be quite comical at times. I mean, like you say, <laughs> yeah. the the little thing on the shoulder, you know, that that's it's quite like comical. Pirate, yeah. yeah, on top of the on the shoulder of the pirate. Um, you know, the mecha designs are outstanding. You know, it's it's full of really cool. And you know, one of the things I didn't say in the in the review of Dango that that I wanted to mention, you know, as a fan of like shoot 'em ups and cool looking spaceships, I really like the four separate craft that form yes, Dango. The- the, um, the Dan Mechanics, I believe. The Dan Mechanics, that's it, yeah. You know, I really like the individual ship designs. As mm, well they as are the nice, yeah. You know. They are quite sort of, you know, futuristic looking. Um, and it's the other sort of real sleekness about them, don't they? Yeah, you know. Sort of jet modes and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's that I really... And, you know, when I saw Dan Gaio in 94, 
as I said, on on the back of all this shoot 'em up stuff that I'd seen in video games that had all mm. these anime, you know, art styles and certainly Devastator, which had um, you know, bits of the anime in it and everything. Mm-hmm. Seeing it in Dango as this complete of you know, seventy minute OVA, it mm-hmm. was like, Oh my god, you know, this this is exactly what I've been yeah. wanting to watch for the last, you know, five years or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it, it really, really sort of did that for me. And so in that respect, because of, you know, it's got great mecha battles. It's got amazing design. It truly mm. looks astonishingly good on Blu-ray. Um, the story, like I say, looking back now, the story isn't a classic. Um, serviceable, isn't it? It's serviceable. It's what it says on the tin. And it gets, you know, it kind of gets you to where you need to be for the, to support the action and the creative elements the sort of yeah. the designs and the wow factor yeah you know it you know it doesn't really end it isn't cohesive because of the time gap well i think you know my personal feeling is because of the time mm. gap between i, I it. agree with you there. i think that's probably um, what's caused that but kind of lack of cohesion <laughs> if you wanted to you know it's one of those things though that if you wanted to show someone some really cool 80s mecca mm. you know dango would be a really good choice yeah absolutely to do that and yeah, because it just, you know, it looks phenomenal and it's just, you know, it's absorbing. Like, yeah. Because those designs, everything from the mecha to the aliens and all the background characters in yeah. the bunker and everything looks so good. You know, you, my, my first viewing of it, um, I was totally transfixed by everything and on, yeah, and on this week's yeah. one, yeah. I was exactly the same. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, on my first viewing of it, I kind of missed out some of the cool designs of the first one because as we mentioned, yeah. if, uh, you sort of scrapped the first episode and that has some great design work in it. Uh, but yeah, it, I was exactly the same on the um, first viewing as I have on. God knows what this viewing is. I don't yeah. know it's on ninth one somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I would say I would say it's a fairly timeless sort of classic mecha shot. I would agree with that. It would be. Mm. I, I think Demon of Steel is better though. Mm. You know, and uh, the thing is, when you look at reviews of Dangayo, they're not as divisive no. as like Demon of Steel's mm. reviews are. So. I mean, I think it's it's probably a much more well-loved, but I think some of that is because, you know, it did get a, a Western release in 94. Exactly, it's been around. people have nostalgia for it. Yeah, yes, exactly, people have nostalgia for it. That doesn't exist for Demon of Steel because it's barely, I mean, it's barely got a release in Japan, let alone mm. outside yeah. of Japan. So the lack of exposure to it and everything, I think, does it a lot of harm. My lack of knowledge about it going in, I think, was a great thing for me because of the fact that I had no expectations. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, there was nothing weighing it down. Of you know, there was no sort of hype about it or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And so I watched it and I was like, why didn't I watch this years ago? Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. And I think just you know that kind of need, you know, especially as a busy adult, you know, kind of running about doing so much stuff and know never having time for things it's it's refreshing to sit down and watch something that's so yeah. compact and yeah. succinct and you can just get a complete experience out of without yeah. watching 40 odd episodes of tv you know yeah yeah definitely yeah so yeah i, I you know i agree with major intention's comments on that I, you know definitely so that brings us to the end of our reviews of this Toshihiro Hirano special. So our next episode we're going to go back to macross and the next part of our, our retrospective and next time we're going to sort of focus on some of the OVA. So we're going to review uh, Macross 2, Lovers Again, Macross Zero and Macross Plus, both the OVA and movie version. I know that's a little bit out of order because some of those came after Macross 7, but it makes sense to sort of review the OVAs yeah. and then Macross 7. So, you know, we'll do that. 
we'll do a few more sort of series so probably episode sort of 10-ish we'll probably then do Macross 7 we'll do the TV series and then a few episodes after that we'll then do all the Macross 7 OVAs and movies Dynamite and Encore and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff so uh, yeah, that's kind of the schedule there sure uh, you can find us on Twitter at RetroMecha uh, you can find our blog RetroMechaPodcast.wordpress.com you can contact us via email on retromechapodcast at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, Overcast FM, Podbean, Castbox, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, and most podcast hosting services by searching for Retro Mecha Podcast. Right, Craig, tell us where we can find your blog. Um, you can find me um, animeheadsretroworlds.wordpress.com and also on Twitter at Anime Heads Retro. And you can find my other podcast, Retro Anime Podcast, on all the same hosting services as I've just described. And you can find me on Twitter at Retro Anime. So that brings us to the end, Craig. Another good discussion. An interesting period of mecha history, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Completely. Um, it's just uh, a lot of uh, interesting parallels to draw on. It's, it's a really interesting period of history, the 80s, in terms of uh, mecha shows in general. Yes, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Right, so I'm across again next time. So until then, bye bye, Craig. Bye. Bye, everybody. The opening and closing theme music to the podcast is Molten Alloy from Purple Planet Music. All other music used within the podcast is copyrighted to its respective creators.